everybody. Doing okay. Um, All right. A whole lot of homeowners minute for us here. Oh no! But apartment apartment livers minute is a uh, very dr- it's different because there's no like thankfully there's no funds required from us, but it's still in the midst of us and we kind of have to work at their schedule too. So it's it's kind of interesting. I think you'd call that mental capital. Yes, very much a, a, a large amount of mental capital. What did, what broke? what are they doing at your apartment? So they found about a year ago they they the the downstairs neighbor had a leak in her bathroom ceiling, so right below the toilet. So they came in and they're like, "Hey, there's a leak and we need to fix it." Like, "Okay, go for it." And they fixed it and they did but they did kind of a crappy job. Uh so like the the floor started to bow a little bit like it, the 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 wood got warped because of the water and the moisture. They didn't do a good job of like sealing it off afterwards and it, it did finally eventually kind of go back down and whatnot but then maybe a week ago they came and said hey there's a leak in the apartment downstairs we need to check your toilet I'm like all right like we've done this before came in checked it out couldn't find it cut a hole in the wall couldn't find it cut a hole in the tub couldn't find it went to the neighbor near us and found it in there like the the like because it's, it's apartment so they're all conjoined they're all conjoined uh, found that it was like the next door neighbor and that it ran downhill and into their bathroom. And so they ended up finding it. They started fixing it on her end, but they still had to come back and fix the drywall, the toilet and the tub because they cut a hole in it to yeah. the tub. They had to do a whole sealing process with this highly toxic chemical. That's very, very strong. And they're like, they asked us, do you have any kids in the house? Any babies? Like, no. Okay. Well, you know, you need kind of like, it'd be best if you left. And we're like, it's in the middle of COVID. There's nowhere to go. And, <laughs> My wife's working from home, and she's also like, it's, it's a whole thing. So she couldn't, we couldn't leave per se. But we closed up the bedroom, like put towels under by the door, and kind of sealed off the bedroom. But then that was a whole other thing because we couldn't turn on the AC because then more fumes would funnel in that way. Long story short, we were out of a bathroom for about a week. In which at first they're like, oh, well, I'm like, well, what do we do when we need a bathroom? You can use the pool bathroom. No, I can't. No, no, I can't. Also, I need a shower. <laughs> And I'm not showering out in the middle of public. And also, it's COVID. So, like, no. Yeah. Like, And so, they gave us the keys to another apartment, that, which is, you know, a certain amount. Of, like, it's a fair distance away. So, anytime you need to go to the bathroom, you've got to walk, you know, across the across the complex. Showering at the end of the night, you're like, okay, well, I got to do that. But also, anytime like, we came back from doing the supply run, I'd have to, like, decontaminate. So, like, I'd bring in the stuff. Everybody right. would spray it down, down with alcohol. But then I still need to go back to the other apartment to get to take a shower and just like, uh, just add so many layers to just like, just the, it would have been annoying during a regular time, let alone adding the COVID aspect of it and just a giant cluster. So yesterday they came in and fixed the, the toilet. No, they, they resealed the floor because, and they fixed it because it's no longer, so they would no longer be warped. But then of course the guys who came in didn't wear, I asked if they had a drop cloth, like put, you know, a runner, so they could walk on that. And they're like, oh, we don't have those. I'm like, okay. I'm like, do you guys got booties or anything like that? And they're like, no. I'm like, all right. And they commenced to do work. And then, of course, got grease and grime across the carpet. And I'm like, guys, like, what the F? But it's, you know, they're, they are what they are. So they we ended up calling the management and have them said, hey, can you come out and see this and just get a, get someone in here to clean the carpets? Because this is atrocious. And they they came out, checked it out. They're like, yeah, this is bad. And I explained, like, I asked if they had a runner. I asked if they had boots because normally the maintenance guys have little booties to wear. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, that's the, anyways, they did that. And then, so today was hypothetically the final day of getting everything done. The carpets are cleaned and they're drying still, but yeah, this Bummer. should, yeah. And yeah, that's been that. Sorry, man. That's yeah, okay. Of, let's do it. Let's talk some Star Wars, huh? Okay. No. <laughs> Wait, no wrong theme nope. song. Wrong, <laughs> wrong. Uh, that's Apollo Creed's theme, right? Um, I don't even know. Like it's in my head, but I, I don't know what it's to specifically. It's the really? final countdown, right? Oh, it is the final countdown. Is it? Yeah, it is. It is the final countdown. Oh, okay. it's the final countdown. Nice. What a lead in to episode three of Carbon <laughs> Scoring. There we go. A subpod of We Were Gamers with Kit. Hi, everybody. And the singing Ken. Hi, everybody. I'm Andy. I am trying to get back into the Star Wars Extended Universe, and these are my two guides. And I was, I was thinking, like, should we should it be Kit Fisto Kurosawa, or like, is there a nickname in there we could work? But I don't know. Well, don't mind already me. a nickname, so I don't know. True. Fair enough. <laughs> How many nicknames does one man need? Well, I mean, we they, the the listener might not know that, so you know, you're a man of mystery. They 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 don't need to know anything. They do need so to like know it. some things, like what we're going to yeah, talk about today. I think they know. I think they know we're going to talk about Star Wars and how much we love it, and it's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, when is it, when is it launching? When is season two of The Mandalorian watching, launching? Do we know? Uh, October? It was, I heard November last I heard, but again, that was... I mean, that's. I think everything's kind of up in the air at this point. I yeah, think that. Good point. I know that they probably started filming some at some point, and I think that because of the setup of how the show is with the volume, and it's kind of like it's not. It is indoors too, as opposed to being like an outdoor set for most things. Yeah. That they really they have more control and and over certain things like you only have so like such a large cast, so you don't have to worry about that. But who knows? I mean, this is. This is 2020. This is Thunderdome. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay. Well, in preparation and on the recommendation of these two, we watched, well, I watched, I guess, because you both had already watched it by the time you recommended it to me. The Mandalorian. Well, wait, The Gallery, The Mandalorian. How did, how's that name? Yeah, it's, the, it's The Gallery. Then the, this season is The Mandalorian. Because I'm guessing maybe. If they do, like when we get into Kenobi and stuff like that, or when they're doing Captain, Ameri- or Captain America and Winter Soldier, that it could be Gallery and then all those. And so they, they break it down so it's like it's just a behind-the-scenes series and a making-of stuff, which I'd be cool with. Well, like, if, I, I mean, this is a digital series, right? And so you kind of don't have the box set DVD behind-the-scenes stuff, so they got to do that somehow yeah. if they want to do it in this kind of way, which is actually kind of nice. Uh, the format was much less of a handy cam. What did we get kind of format and instead more of a directed round table. Yeah. Kind of thing. Very, yeah. Very similar to John Favreau's um, dinner for five. If those, if any listeners are familiar with that, he had 
on IFC, the independent film channel, he had essentially five people in the, in the in the industry sitting around a dinner table, having dinner at a restaurant, and just talking over dinner. Like whether it's memories from a film set or you know a time someone had you know out on the street with an interaction with a fan, it was very kind of like just discussion relaxed having fun very much kind of podcasting before it caught on to that degree and that was kind of the space that they were in it was really great i if you can track you can watch some of it on youtube but it's a really good just roundtable discussion and it's it feels very much similar to that and of course it's john doing what john has done is in this career before so it's like it has that same vibe nice uh I treated it kind of maybe in our discussion today more like a behind the scenes type documentary uh, rather mm-hmm. than that type of hosted um, podcast type thing. But I don't generally watch behind the scenes stuff. I know Kit oh. and I were just talking about Ghost of Tsushima and you said you watched all the special features. Yeah, uh, I I, they have well okay so there's an art book there's a digital art book and they're the version that i got came with a digital art book and uh like a 45 minute or one hour uh documentary where one of the makers of the game talks to uh two guys uh who are one of them one of them was a professor of history at the like the university of tokyo and um who studies that the time period that the game is set in and the other one, I don't remember what his, what his, but it was like two knowledgeable people about the game, about the, 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 the time that the game was set in. And, uh, but yeah, I, I watched that. Do I mean, it's not a whole lot of special features, but yeah, oh. but I mean, I, I've watched, I've watched a lot of star Wars special features because, um, star Wars just sort of in general, um, like even, uh, a lot during the prequels they 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 went every video release during the prequels had tons and tons of great special features and documentaries and making of stuff and interviews um but even even as a little kid um when when we finally got um not taped for tv versions uh taped from tv versions of the the original trilogy when we got the the real thing it came with a copy of um, from Star Wars to Jedi, which is like a 1983 documentary that they did um, about mostly, it's mostly, it says from Star Wars to Jedi, but it's it's like 99% about the making of Return of the Jedi. But I watched <laughs> that a lot, even, uh, even as a as a kid, so. I know Ken's answer. He watches every special feature. Watch a lot of them. I mean, some of them, I'm just like, I, yeah, I watch a lot of them. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of I, I'm a still a fan of digital media because of the Criterion edition of stuff, like things where it's like it goes so in depth. It gives you every little nook and cranny of the movie, and they have the creators on board. Those were great, and it's kind of like it's also going to be as this as the world slowly shifts into digital media away from physical. I'm still happy to have those those hard copies for a multiple to re, a multitude of reasons. Huh. I had always when I watch some special features and this isn't entirely true of especially documentary type stuff, like you were talking about kit um, or the round table idea or an interview type idea. A lot of those special features were people on set talking to people on set about things and they didn't really go very deep into much of anything. And 
I kind of wrote them off at a young age and said, if the work doesn't speak for itself, I don't need to know what they intended, right? Like, do I need to go and invest the time in the special features of any of the Zack Snyder films? That to me is like a hard answer for me because I didn't enjoy the movie. So, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I've never watched a special feature for a movie. I didn't like, all right. Unless right. it was really bad. Like I, I would watch special features for battlefield earth just because it was so terrible. <laughs> Maybe I should watch them for sky captain then. <laughs> And that's, I mean, I think it does depend on too, like what the movie is like. I mean, there's not every movie that needs to have a criterion edition. Like we don't need it for, you know, certain movies and others. You're like, oh, well, I'm very curious how they, where did this creator get his ideas? Where do they go in depth? And like, there's times where I am interested and there's times where I'm just like, whatever, just put on the movie. Like the road trip with, uh, Brecken, is that with Brecken Meyer? I don't know. I don't think it's actually not. It's with, um. God, I can't remember his name now. But uh, Euro Trip, we don't need it. You know, like certain movies, it's not, I don't know, integral to the knowledge of the of the thing. But I'm happy to have it for more sci-fi stuff, especially stuff like um, the Marvel movies. But then it's kind of interesting to your point of if they couldn't get it across in the in the film, why do I need to know it after? In the modern vernacular, where you're constantly inundated with tweets and interviews and things of like oh well the, the reason why hulk didn't do this is because of this and we just figured that you got that across i'm like no you did not it's almost i don't know it feels weird to have that information after the fact i'm like oh wait so am i supposed to retroactively think oh that's what they meant in the infinity wars that hulk wasn't scared but that he was tired of fixing banner's problems i'm like that didn't come across it seemed like he was scared so, yeah it absolutely did it seemed like hulk didn't want to fight yeah and in interviews afterwards, I believe it was the Russos were like, oh, no, what it is is he's just tired of, of saving Banner's butt. And I'm like, then, like, show, don't tell. Like, give me that, show me that information on the screen and show me that some way besides just saying no, no. That doesn't come across. And I know it's, it's a giant movie and you only have so much time to de- dedicate to every character. But I'm like, if you have an intent, you, you should really try to get it across there. Because not everyone's going to watch the special features. Not everyone's going to watch the deleted scene where it's like, oh, he's having this this fight and X, Y, Z happens. Right. A lot of people th- aren't following your Twitter ARG. Yeah. Right. And it's just that's and it, for people who want to watch the DVDs and the, and the extras or the Blu-rays, you've got that and it's good. But they sh- to your point, they should get it, do a better job of getting it across on film. So I'm glad, though, to have watched this set of eight episodes because none of these eight episodes was about anything related to the story of the Mandalorian and all related to why they ended up with what they ended up with and how they did it. And that is kind of fascinating to me. And I, I wish I knew of more instances of stuff like this because I, Uh, On a personal note here for a second, I guess. I work adjacent to (laughs) this type of production. And it's it's a stalled media in a lot of ways when you don't get to do something as innovative as this. It feels... It feels like every time you get on a job, you go through the motions... 
and you watch everyone else go through the motions and it's nothing you new or unique, even if it sounds or pretends to be. That makes sense. Like they're always trying, like people are like, Oh, I'm putting my spin on it. But to a degree, it's still just the same. It still has to be the same thing. Whereas with, with something as, as in depth as one, it's going to be Lucasfilm. So they're going to put X amount of money behind it, regardless every time. But they are going to ILM has always pushed the envelope like that's been their thing. It's like, or Weta. Weta is a similar the same way where it's like we're trying to innovate and create new ideas of how to to create new visuals and make new stories. Whereas like for some productions, it's just like, OK, we just need to get from point A to point B and then to point C. If as long as we get there, we're fine. The job's done. Let's move on. Well, they even talked about s- it in this where one of the directors, um, Fuki, Fukuyima, Fuku, I don't remember his name. Uh oh. Okay. My bad. <laughs> I, I can pull it up. Um, he talks about how he did production before this, and yeah, like it was amazing to them that they had the time to not be doing four shots and move on because they had to fit in X amount of stuff that Lucasfilm gave them the time to, you know, pre, I mean, they use a computer program in this to pre shoot the show before they shot it. You know what I mean? Which was really, really cool to watch. I mean, all of the technology and this is cool to watch. We'll get to it in a minute, but, um, like the, just the watching the directors off the bat, Talking about Famu Famu Yiwa Famu Yiwa Rick, I don't. Yeah. I I'm butchering his name and I don't know why. It's okay. Uh, it's, it's, and you tried. I tried. And it's, yeah, I tried. Uh, he yeah he had a lot of insights into standard production because he didn't come from high end production, so kind of like more the area that most people in Hollywood live, of like. Get the people in each department, get them to do their jobs, bang it out, get through the script. You know, like a lot of these other directors have had a lot of money thrown behind them. And it was interesting to hear his take on a lot of it when you get into the the nitty gritty of how this all came together. I But I really enjoyed like listening to, I'd, I've listened to Taika Waititi talk a ton of times, but um I wanted to call out all the directors on being really awesome. I don't know if you guys enjoyed that first episode where there's just the round table of directors talking the whole time. <laughs> no, it was, that was great. Especially because for some of them, it might've been the first time you've been introduced to some of them. Um, like I know Tyke's, of course, Tyke has been in a bunch of stuff as of late. He's like kind of the new hotness right now, but there's definitely the opportunity for like Deborah Chow. I, I hadn't been exposed to her too much as far as hearing her speak, whether it was on a panel or other avenues, but it was cool to see that. And then also to know that she's the primary director behind Kenobi and go and like, that's awesome. Like knowing that someone who like, you just saw how their, their amazing performance as a director in this. And like, I have so much more hope and anticipation for Kenobi now. Like that just sounds awesome. It is fascinating. I think this basically shows what their strategy is going to be here, which is, all these directors are going to split off and get their own Star Wars shows? Um, 
to a degree. I mean, I think some of them, I think she's the only one that's tapped for a full series. I think the rest are still going to be ones who kind of come in. And I wouldn't be surprised if even like out of, let's say if, if men, if Kenobi gets eight episodes, if two of them are directed by like, maybe Rick comes in on one and Bryce comes in on another, but I mean, cause just to see like time wise, like how much space they have. Right. But it's, it's, I, I, I don't know if everyone's getting their own, like, all right, here's your, here's your big bag of money. Go direct something. It was but. also really cool to get the main three, um, actors, Pedro and Carl Weathers and Gina Carano, Gina Carano, yeah. all on there and listening to them talk about, yeah, especially like Pedro Pascal and Gina Carano are young <laughs> and, you know, have tried a lot of different stuff. Carl Weathers is at, I think they said at one point in this that he was basically retired. Hearing Carl Weathers talk about being in Star Wars was pretty awesome. I kind of wish yeah. they'd had Werner Herzog in there, though. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's it, it's Werner Herzog. It's not too surprising that he wasn't able to step out and you know, get in, get be in the like he's he's getting all, on up in age, so it's a little understandable. Fair. But the big standout, I think, for me personally, of all of the roundtable. Uh, and I think Kit, you talked on previous episodes about following what he says very closely. Uh, Dave Filoni. Yeah. Uh, well, um, of, so when we were talking about the, the directors, um, I hadn't, I didn't know of, um, Rick Famoyiwa or Deborah Chow. Um, I, I, has Bryce Dallas Howard ever, directed anything besides this and I, I know of her as an actress but not as a not as a director i believe she's um, director directed um she's done uh she did dads uh it, i'm sorry that's actually a documentary um it doesn't look like she's done anything no full-length movies i'll say that well, if she has i i didn't know that she I, I didn't know she was a director. I only knew of her as a as an actress i was wondering and, if she directed any of that new arrested development but i don't think she did we did not, oh, according to IMDb. But um, I was—I mean, I've—I've I've watched um, many Taika Waititi uh, uh, shows and movies, and then uh, Dave Filoni, of course, uh, I was familiar with from his work on Clone Wars and Rebels and uh, you Resistance. Last Airbender, you, yeah, of course, last. Uh, yes, uh, I didn't. I, I did not before this. I did not know that he worked on that, but yes, uh, I have seen. But so you you've seen like a bunch of interviews with Filoni then before this, or yeah. special features or whatever. Yeah, the Clone Wars um, and uh, um, Rebels uh, video sets all came. With, he he's he also goes. He's a he's uh, one who is. Uh, happy to go to conventions and uh, be on panels and and talk with people and meet with people and whatnot. He's a he's a very um, uh, he's very much uh, unlike George Lucas in that in that um, he, oh, man. He, we'll get he, there. he he just likes going like I feel like even if he wasn't working at Lucasfilm he'd still be going to like Star Wars Celebration and just talking <laughs> with people about about the stuff. So I'm sure he did right. Like it sounds like he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Man, George Lucas. I hmm. Do I take a pause here or not? 
Yes. Because we could talk about George Lucas and Filoni here. Did anyone on that set, no one on that set ever looked unexcited during the footage? I'm sure there are days when they had tough days and they had, you know, tempers and all all that stuff happens on a set. But all this footage, of all the footage, no one ever looks upset. And then you get to George Lucas and they talk about him visiting the set. I've never seen someone more disinterested <laughs> in what's going on around him <laughs> than when they're like trying to explain to him what they're doing. And he's just like, yeah, we tried this a long time ago. It just didn't work. And you're like, okay. okay. Or like when Favreau goes, man, look, I pulled your, I pulled that cool thing from the holiday special so that, you know, like the Mandalorian could have his little shotgun from the, and then he's like, I didn't write that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I mean, they've spent like 40 years trying to disavow (laughs) the holiday special. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he had, he had nothing to do with it. And it was just like, whatever, whatever TV company got the rights to that, took it and ran with it. And, and, um, and that led directly into, uh, him taking complete control of basically everything creatively from that point. Cause it was like. Because uh, he didn't like it at yeah, all. I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I, I will say it's it. I, I didn't know that it existed until I was an adult. Uh, when I was in college, I was in a comic shop and they had a VHS, like a bootleg VHS copy. Um, and I was like, "Wait, what is this?" Uh, and that was my first introduction to it. I certainly did not watch it when it came out, and I had never even heard of it. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's not terrible, but I will say that uh, I have a certain. Uh, uh, fondness for it and its terribleness now. Although I, I'm kind of like that. Like, uh, I don't like mediocre movies, but I like really good movies or really, really terrible movies. If if it's something that they can make fun of on Mystery Science Theater, then that's the kind of movie that I can also enjoy. Well, he is also seems to just come like have disavowed all those Ewok TV shows that he did that are. Well, he wrote those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where I I didn't know before this. That's where I thought Blurgs came from Clone Wars, but apparently they were in that. Like, yeah, I feel that he's. I mean, I don't know. I I think that he lucked out with Star Wars to a degree, and that he it worked and it 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 hit with fans, and it was a really fun time. But in the end, like he was more interested in just doing other things and making other projects. And nothing ever quite stuck for him, so he kind of begrudgingly kind of came back to Star Wars and kind of had, I think during the prequels is when he was the most interested in Star Wars. I think that's when he was the most engaged, the most like, okay, let's re- let's build this world, let's fill it out more. I think that he, especially now, is just kind of like, yeah, I'm... He's he soured on it. Like he got a lot of grief from it and also, like, just he was he's, he's a different man than when he was as a you know as a young director and so he's just he stepped away from it so much and like like you like you're saying like oh yeah we tried that and it's like that's something too is like he did there's a lot of things that he tried to innovate with and move forward that was either hindered by time or tech. money or tech and just, it wasn't av- it wasn't available yet and so it's cool to see that he had that kind of creative talent that 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 genius there where he's ready to take that next step but also he it's made him a little bit standoffish about it now. Like, eh, you're like, yeah, I, I've, you know, I've, I've done this game before. I don't know. 
Yeah, I can't. Every, I can't fault him for being whatever he is. I don't. I don't know him. Obviously, I don't know that the footage of him portrays his actual feelings. But it seems to me that like, if you got as much flack as he did for as long as you did, you just kind of either let it roll off you or just let it kind of have distanced you from the project, which may be what it comes off as. And I, I yeah. thought it was interesting to bring it up because. Him and Filoni. Filoni describes him in this show as having the same love and interest in Star Wars as you, when you watch it, you understand Filoni has like this, this encyclopedic brain of how everything works. He just seems much more excited about it at any moment. Like if you asked him like how a stormtrooper's helmet works, he would go off on it. Versus, you know, if you asked uh, George Lucas at this point, he probably would not. Yeah, I think that's that's part that's to that comparison. When Filoni got to know him, it was during Clone Wars. So, I mean, in my head, I think of Clone Wars as part of that prequel era of trying to be creative. And I also think to do the games where when Lucasfilm was putting out a bunch of games like The Force Unleashed and uh like battlefronts and stuff like that that's when george was the most engaged with the with the universe and that's kind of in that place where he met him so that's why he carries on that energy also he has the youth to have that energy he's like i'm just happier to like he's got what 20 years on lucas to be like oh no i just had 20 years more energy to put forward (laughs) and also it's not burned out of him where there's like you tried to take everything from me and all i have left is my money which is not bad but i also, George Lucas is just a very, uh, a much more introverted person, naturally. Like, even even before, uh, you, uh, you can go back and, I mean, he, he was just, uh, all of the accounts that I've ever heard, uh, even before Star Wars, like in, in the 70s and stuff, he was just, he was just quiet and uh, he's, he's not that sort of outgoing personality, want to go meet strangers who have similar interests to him type person that Filoni is or seems to be. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. And this is all just our read on it too. It's just like yeah. as best as we can tell from our experience watching things online. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, you, you said that you knew Filoni from the DVD features for rebels and for clone wars. You know, I got rebels and clone wars from Disney plus. So I have no bearing on Filoni before seeing him in this Mandalorian gallery series. And that's I pretty just, much what he's like all the time. That's a good, I mean, what, how he acts on, on the, on this show, uh, uh, is pretty much how he acts at celebrations or any kind of interview or, or whatnot. It makes me feel really bad for having bagged on some of the episodes of Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it depends on what the context was. Like, if you're like, "Oh, the art department's horrible," you're like, "Okay, then Dave should you should apologize to Dave." If it's the story because they involved the character that I still think is questionable at this point, then you know that's other stuff. I don't know. And the character, not the people who portray the character either. Like, I don't think when people give a lot of grief to some of the actors who played characters that it were, let's say, less favored. It has nothing to do with the actors to a degree. Like they're they're asked to do a performance and they give it and that's what they they did their job. Where it's just kind of it's it's a more it's I remember hearing a statement one time where like if you didn't like a movie, blame the director. If you loved it, blame then you give credit to everyone who's a part of it. 
Like it's like that's the role of the directors. Like either it falls on their shoulders, or you know that's like kind of that. And like that's kind of where some of Clone Wars is going to be, and that's where I think certain characters land too. Like someone looked at that character and said, "Yeah, let's give him this accent and make him act like this." And <laughs> kids will love. It. And I'm like, ugh, I I don't know. It's interesting that they tried to redeem him so many times, but it's not here nor there or part of this discussion. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I loved how into Star Wars he was, and I really got an appreciation for how tied together things tried to be. I mean, there's still a lot of, like, I take a lot of issues with, like, well, I don't know that uh, I would have put R2-D2 and C-3PO in so many episodes and then expected by the end of episode nine, they haven't been able to... uh, figure out what's going on around them. You know what I mean? Like how, how does he not tell Luke that Vader's his father? If he knows he had his memory wiped. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's, 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 that's one of those things where we go back to like show, not tell. They literally said it in the movie, wipe the droids memory and they wiped his memory. The better one would be the one who can, who didn't get his memory wiped, which is R2. That's the one I'm talking about. Oh, okay. I thought you're talking about three PO. No, no, 3PO had his memory wiped like seven or eight times. Um, no, gotcha. it's it's uh, R2. R2, they made they talk specifically about how he never has his memory wiped, right? They had multiple episodes where R2 was a problem because he has secrets and nobody's wiped his memory. Yeah. Uh, that Yeah, that's that's fair. And also, I mean, but there's also the, the, I guess, the throwaway idea that, oh, he doesn't speak in words. But then again, he still plugs into tactical readouts. He still has, like, he still communicates, so... There's something there of like, oh, by the way, or is it just that he's above that? He just, he's like the maker is just like, yeah, it's like that guy. What's the problem here? Maybe, maybe droids don't um, understand the reproductive process. Yeah. Familial bonds. That doesn't matter to them. They're just like, oh, that's, that's <laughs> so, guy. so we're going to, we're going to nag on R2, but not on Yoda and Obi-Wan for like, as Luke's flying off to go fight Vader mentioned beforehand. Oh, by the way, this might come up. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we're nagging R two. We're just like, what we're we're curious, but no, he's he he receives none of the blame. Like it's it's definitely on on Obi Wan and Yoda for just like, do we tell him? Uh, uh. Yeah, that's on them. I'm, have we talked since I said I think that the Clone Wars has made me hate all the Jedi? Um, no, okay. but I mean, it's it's understandable because it's like I've I've heard a lot of people say like. It also it gives you reasons to understand why, especially like they they built it out in the seventh season as well. Like, oh, these guys from certain points of view didn't help anyone. They 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 allowed slavery to exist, and they're supposed to be these wise, like spiritual leaders to a degree. And they're just like, well, we can't, you can't fight what the law is, and the law is that, so we have to abide by it. Like, well, okay, that was definitely that was sorry, Ken. That was definitely a uh, uh, something that was very important in to to the people who are making both the prequels and uh clone wars was to drive home that the that um the jedi started out nobly and then they got caught up in dogma and um that that was their downfall was and and i i think that that was a uh, i think about the time that they start introducing themselves as commander is about the time you realize none of these Jedi are following their creed. 
Yeah, I mean, they they are and they aren't, and that's just that's kind of what the problem is. Is like it's it's the the lead to hell, the lead to hell, the lead, the road to hell is led with best uh, good intentions. Take two. Sorry, there we go. Ken's drunk. Um, <laughs> but that's it's like you constantly you're trying to, but you're and that's that's the that's also the sway of the dark side. Palpatine put things in place to lead them to that point. So he's like, okay, well, we need commanders, and you guys are peacekeepers. So I guess you need to fill that role. And like that was part of, and that's where I get that's where I get kind of bothered in that he has this master plan that's you know so infallible, but is that everything? All these things were put into place so that he he would get to the point where he could take out the Jedi and no one would bat an eye. Well, I think the takeaway from watching Filoni's interviews and talking in the roundtable to me was that. He gets and loves the Star Wars universe, maybe in a way that is almost fanish, and and has that encyclopedic knowledge. But it's a really good thing they brought in a, a John Favreau type to kind of rein that in for this eight episode run, right? Of like, cool, grab all the cool references you can, put them in this bucket, and I will put them together, right? I'll put them on screen. Yeah. I'll make them make sense in a way that is not overwhelming because I, you know, I put this in front of my wife. She doesn't read, watch any of the other shows that this is connected more heavily to. Like there's a lot of references to the movies. Let's be clear. And, uh, only three of the movies really, (laughs) but there's a lot of those, but she's not going to pick up on that. Like IG 11 is related to IG 88. She doesn't know who an IG 88 is. IG series, get it together, Katie. Come on. I know. Look, <laughs> look. But she she caught the Kenner troop transport, right? Yeah, of course she knew the Kenner troop transport was a toy before then that didn't exist. I didn't. Even okay. <sighs> what? I didn't. I really, honestly, I didn't know that that wasn't a. I don't know. I didn't. Well, I knew that because I had one when I was a kid. Oh, I never had one. Mm-mm. I had I grew up in the age of micro machines. Well, I'm 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 quite a bit older than you, Andy. Not quite. So. I wouldn't say quite a bit, but enough of a bit that you were the Kenner generation, and I was the. I don't even know who makes micro machines. Galoob, Galoob, Galoob generation. I love micro machines. Are there, are there still micro <laughs> machines? Did the, did Galoob go out of business? Galoob probably um, went out of business, but I bet you there's still micro machines in existence. I doubt that they I feel still like have. There like, were some. I feel like there were some around, like the Force Awakens. But oh, there I, definitely I were because there's any, a Naboo Starfighter. I don't think I've seen any since then. I think. I believe yeah. they were bought by. I mean, as with everything, there's always acquisitions. I'm not sure who owns the brand now. I know that there's other like mini brand like oh tiny car brands but uh let me see um but i really like the star wars micro machines from the 90s i thought that that those were oh, they're toys. really good they're like i i may still have most of mine they're that good i've yeah in a life of having started to purge many things uh those still exist in a closet somewhere yeah so uh, hasbro great. does own them now okay they might not be doing much with the brand currently, though. I haven't seen not. it out there. Yeah, They are not. Yeah. Speaking of toys, one thing that Filoni says a lot that Lucas told him was that Star Wars is ultimately for the kids, quote unquote. 
I want to know if you guys agree with that statement. Absolutely. Interesting. And to, and, um, to the point where, so, uh, back when they had tapped the two guys who made game of Thrones to do some star Wars project, I think it was a trilogy, but I'm not dodged the bullet on that one. Yeah. But when they announced that and everybody got super excited and, and thought that, Oh, this is going to be the old Republic and we'll get Revan and, and that'll be great. My first thought was like, I don't want an R rated star Wars. Um, and if like that, that's a, that's something that I absolutely don't want. Like I don't, I don't mind that they have, um, you know, darker, more adult stories like empire and revenge of the Sith. Yeah, but I certainly those, don't though. What? How do you square that with that argument of like revenge of the Sith is for the kids? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I definitely don't want it ever to get darker than those movies like that. I feel like those movies are the, the line and you shouldn't, you shouldn't, there's definitely part, like I, I've talked about this a lot of times with friends of mine and I'm like, I, I don't want to show Revenge of the Sith to kids. I, I feel like PG-13 is a good rating because I don't want to show that to little kids. Yeah. And on the off chance that they understand what's happening when Anakin goes in and massacres all those little kids. Like, I don't... That's I, I actually feel like Revenge of the Sith kind of, in, in a few places, went too far. Well, the mythology surrounding Star Wars had gotten so far to that point that it was like you got to show that he's evil or something. I don't know. I, I yeah, have a hard time from like kill little kids. I understand that they didn't need to go that but, far. And, and in, in clone wars, they had the perfect response to that, which is like, uh, Palpatine taking the kids off to teach them how to be, um, Inquisitors. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, I couldn't, the, the, the name was escaping me for a second, but, um, yeah, I mean, y- you didn't have to have him, massacring a room full of toddlers and like, yeah, (laughs) but, but that was my fear was that they were going to give it to these guys and there was going to be like, you know, a bunch of brutal stuff. There was going to be rape. Yeah. And I'm like, I I don't want that in my star Wars. That's not, I, I want PG star Wars. I think that they've mostly hit the mark, even with the side stuff like the Mandalorian and rogue one of yeah. being mostly hopeful. Although rogue one ends on a, I'm, I guess it doesn't end on a complete downer, but it literally ends on hope, dude. I don't know. I, I guess if you want to take the last shot, yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's like it ends with hope. That's, that's, I mean, but I do know what you mean. Like there is the, it is quite a, a heck down of a lot of, of a downer to sit, have sit kids through, especially when Vader starts blasting through that ship with his lightsaber, which yeah, is really cool I, for an adult. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think this is one of those reasons. A lot of people have asked me if I've shown our five-year-old star Wars yet. And I said, no, I would say, I think star Wars is for kids and like in the for as far as like the mainstream goes like there's definitely going to be i think that even from the beginning once you started having you know uh side story novels and video games and that's that's pretty that's still in its relative youthful phase of 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 star wars even before the prequels you could step outside of those bounds in those arenas as far as like the main 
like saga you would want to stay more pg-13 for a, a, several reasons, but you want to be able to have a movie kids can see. I don't know if a kid's going to understand. A kid can watch the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, but... I was going to say like a kid can watch what happens to Han Solo and feel hopeful. I mean, like I get and I like actually the overarching idea that these movies and stories need to. And I don't know how much Filoni was involved in those three new movies, if at all. Um, but having that as a kind of like a basis idea of like these have to be at some point providing hope to people is a good one. Um, I just was wondering if you thought they hit the mark because I didn't I didn't see it in a lot of it. So Ken Ken thinks maybe no. Kit thinks yes, probably. Are, are we talking about Mandalorian specifically or are we talking about like the Disney era movies the in Disney, general? The Disney era I think that Disney has been very careful to make sure that their stuff is um, accessible. Yeah. Family friendly. Okay. Which I'm, I'm totally okay with in terms of um, Star Wars. Like I don't, I have no interest in like, like I said, like I, I don't want a hard R <laughs> Star <laughs> Wars at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, the the end of Rogue One is pretty um, de- depressing for, or could be pretty depressing for a little kid. Um, right, yeah, because they've watched Jin the whole movie, right? Like, yeah, it's hard for a, a smaller kid, like a fifteen year old, if you're calling that a kid, would be like, ah, oh, cool, it ends on hope. But yeah, you know, like a nine year old, maybe the target of some of those earlier Lucas era prequels. Um, they might not grasp why is Jin gone, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I, I thought that was a, I'm glad we talked about it cause that was a good one. So, although I also, I will say, I also tried to watch, um, the Phantom Menace with a little kid, like a three or four year old. And it never, until Darth Maul came on the screen and he ran away, scared the, the kid, I did not, it, it never even occurred to me that like maybe he wasn't old enough for this and, and how scary Darth Maul is because I watched that, you know, as a, as an adult. And so like, it never even occurred to me. And I felt like such a jerk because like this little, he was literally like, he ran down the hall and was hiding in the closet. And I was like, Oh man, like <laughs> I feel horrible. <laughs> and, and I didn't even think about that, but, um, you know, Darth Maul's scary. Uh, so, and up oh. until that point, like he was, he was generally okay with the the movie. Okay. Was it Darth Maul on Tatooine or Darth Maul on Naboo? Naboo, when he like takes off his, his hood. hood and you can see the yeah. horns and stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I liked curious. that they brought up Maul in the, in the discussion of like every Star Wars figure has a silhouette. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was a good, I, that was pretty good discussion of like the, the behind the idea, the ideas of costumes and behind the, the makings of, of iconic characters is a silhouette idea. And it kind of like yeah. plays into their, their new tech. How did you guys also have the same, like, I know what they're talking about moment, uh, when they started talking about Epic and unreal engine and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's oh, because I'm, I'm, I'm still a gamer to a degree. 
Um, so it's like you do hear about the Epic Engine, the Unreal Engine, and how that plays out. And then they also talk about, I mean, there's so many different video game houses that are out there, and they still use the same thing because it's just so well created. Yeah. So. I mean, that's that's about the only game engine that I know of, and that's because, what, <laughs> going back to what Ken was saying, like half of the games in existence, or that are being made now use that engine. But, um, I mean, that that's that's basically like the extent of my knowledge of the engine is, is that it's it's um, so it, it, because it's so popular, ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah. Did it blow it, your mind when they showed the what they called the volume for the first time? Um. Yes. Uh, just because of the sheer vastness of all of those screens. Um, but I mean, as soon as they said it, like that made total sense in that they can adjust the background to make, you know, to fix the, when he was talking about it and he was, he was describing, uh, needing to fix the lighting and, and stuff so that the lighting plays on the actors properly for how they're going to do it and being able to fix, uh, adjust stuff, um, on the set. Like when he gets there, they have it set up one way he looks in the camera and realizes that he wants, you know, the sun on the other side or something like that. And, and they can just type it into the computer and, and flip it and immediately do that. Um, that, that made a huge amount of sense to me that, that that would be absolutely, uh, a wonderful invention to somebody who, who is is filming something and has to and has to do that kind of post production work with um, computers and and uh, backgrounds and and uh, special effects? Do you think once they wrap the Mandalorian that the volume becomes like a tourist attraction? I I think that the volume is going to be used on almost every set. Like I, I think that I think that. That probably the biggest thing from this show to me is is that this was almost an infomercial for that, and that I bet that uh, that ILM gets a lot of work from this from people now wanting to use that technology because I I mean that just that just seemed like such a no brainer to me uh, for guarantee not needing already... to make backgrounds and sets and yeah. things yeah. Uh, uh, and 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 just being able to change it. If you, if you look at it and you, you know, you get to the set and you look at it and you go, Oh no, this is wrong. I need to, I need to do this differently. And being able to just instantaneously do that. I mean, that's going to be such a huge benefit to filmmakers. Oh, it's going to, I guarantee you they're already making another one of these. The idea to me that you went to the Hills of Scotland with a camera crew and you filmed this stuff, right? for them to then put into the unreal engine and recreate on a set back in Los Angeles and that you can pause sundown at a certain time and that the screens of the set that you're on are doing the lighting for you, right? Like the reflections in the helmet are not jibs and tons and tons of matte blacks and lights and all this sort of sort of stuff because they have a silver helmet on this guy you'd go crazy trying to block the right lights into there and instead the set is lighting his helmet with the correct colors reflected back into the camera 
Yeah. Exactly. Blows yeah. my and, mind. And they, like, they had the hardest type of person to, like, the, the main character is the shiny, is the shiny thing. It's like, if they if they decided to make the very first time they used the volume, they got the Silver Surfer, and they're like, well, let's just set the bar so damn high that we, like, it's we have to do nothing but succeed at this point because it's so impossible. Like if they did done this with Boba Fett, they wouldn't have. I mean, it'd be cool and all, but you wouldn't know to the degree to which how amazing this is because of the circumstances of the character's costume. Right. But the and- like they. When they show that spaceport episode and they're inside that like that space that docking station or whatever, and you see the volume all set up like that, I couldn't. It was so amazing to think that you couldn't, you couldn't tell the difference of what was foreground and background and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and to go back to what we were talking about earlier about how I watch all of the special features, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on two of them and how how much better this is so um if if you watch the revenge of the sith making of or attack of the clones making of stuff there's a specific spot with um padme running through the droid factory and they actually built all of the stuff with green covering on it uh so that she has stuff to jump over and duck under and she's doing it and she's like this is ridiculous and then you have this where where um uh, Carl Weathers is talking about how everybody's envisioning the same thing. You're not standing on a green screen set, not, and everybody's envisioning something different, you know, and the director's just telling you, oh, there's, you know, some lizard guys over there and there's uh, some mountains over here. Like, you can actually see it. There's yeah. that. And then there's also, like, for um, for the Force Awakens, the end of the Force Awakens and Last Jedi, they went to Skellig Michael Island, which is a um, it's like a um, historical uh, because it, it, it was a uh, there was a, a church there. It's a it's a world history monument, and they had to like get a special permit. They had to helicopter stuff in. They they built a gigantic foam uh, monster to milk, and they had to like take that to this island. And they could only have so many people on the island to not have to do that to be able to just go and film Skellig Michael with like, I don't know, like four people with cameras and then leave and then go back and be able to arrange stuff however you want on this and not have to ship a hundred people to an island that, that has a whole bunch of restrictions because it's, it's so historical and so hard to get to. And like, I I really feel like, like this technology is going to be a big help to, uh, to the film industry and really sort of ironically sort of where, um, where, and they kind of talk about this a little bit. Like this is kind of where George Lucas was trying to go. His entire career was like, uh, you know, being able to set this up in his garage. Yeah. Yeah. But also on that note too, though, they do also do a great job of having practical things there when they need to, like there's when they could win, um, I want to say Krill brings up Mando on this cart. There is like they're in the volume, but there is a tread from the sand crawler there. And there is like there's there's animatronic or like um, puppeteered uh, the what are the, the name of the animal that they ride. And I'm drawing a blank the on it. Blurg. Right the blurg. Right. So like they have them on these mounts so that they simulate the movement. So it's like 
they didn't just go, okay, well, we'll just you know, we'll put you on something, and, and they worked it out so that they're still practical in there, and it it makes it so much more believable and adds that texture that is that's missing when you do just full green screens, and it's they put the time in to make it feel more lived in and right. real, and re- I say real in quotations, but tactile. Tactile, thank you. Yeah, and it's like there's, there's, it's not just like, well, we've got the volume, so we'll just cover it with that. Like, no, let's also, let's put in the time, let's do this. And that's what I appreciate so much about the, the, I want to say the dedication to the craft. Like, this is drastically going to change things, but it could very much become, if people are just cheap and they don't care, it could be a new green screen and just like, yeah, but it's it's better. It's like, yeah, but if you're not putting in the time to make it better. It's going to fall just as flat when you try and do another movie with it. Like You have to have that passion for the craft. And that's what you get from the team of behind this. They also, had a, they also had a passion for using the universe as it existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think Favreau says at one point in this thing that he... That their goal was to live on the outskirts... And to take, he he likened it to getting the action figures here. Filoni did like getting the action figures, and you got all the 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 peg trash right that was just there, <laughs> right? <laughs> but somehow your cousin or your uncle managed to get you the Boba Fett, and so like you made a whole game out of you had the Boba Fett and all the peg trash, and that was it. Right? <laughs> like, Ig eighty eight and an Ugnot. Here yeah. we go. Yeah, all right. <laughs> the best game ever would be if I had 70 blurgs. You know, like uh uh so they they made the show using stuff you hadn't seen very much of. And so because you hadn't seen very much of it, it's like, well, what is an Ugnot? What does an Ugnot want out of life? Like they get to create the universe where the Ugnot served the empire, but got to retire or they got to create the universe of what is, what does it mean to be bounty hunters? And we'll get into the, the Mandalorian stuff separately in a minute. But like, I think they nail there. What you're talking about tactically also applies to like how you treat the items and the, and the universe that are given to you to use or choose chosen to use. Right. And not, wandering into the middle of it and being like, well, we're going to change how blasters work now. They, you know, or like, we're going to change how, um, I don't know, all sorts of stuff, right. That you could, you could have dropped the millennium Falcon into this or something and like made it run on gas or I don't know. I guess it runs on gas. Now everything runs on gas, thanks to that one movie. But, uh... You know what I'm trying to say here, right? Yeah. We do. We get you. You don't like The oh, Last Jedi. I, we get it. We, we know. Don't say what I don't like. I'm saying what I do like. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And that, that, that's the thing. Is like you, So, it's not just like they're... So that's one thing that I kind of felt that George did at times, which was fine because he's George and he's able to, was when we had we had the mythos of like, well, what happens after the after Return of the Jedi? And he's like, well, don't touch 
no one touch Clone Wars era because that's going to be mine, and I'm going to do this. They're like, okay, fine. We'll we'll go off. We'll go past it. We'll go in another way, and we'll do other things. And they people built this, decided, okay, we're just going to keep extrapolating going from there. And then he came back and it's like, well, no, this is what it is. Well, it's like, oh, okay, some people have done something like this. He's like, I don't care. I'm just going to, this is what this means now. This is what it is. And you're like, kind of like, I mean, that's fine. You can do that. But there is some kind of relationship to the other stuff that's been created. And you just kind of build on it. You don't have to, I'm wiping the slate clean and I'm doing this. Yeah. And maybe. so it's, it's. I, I don't know. I, I I think I'm getting what you're, what you're saying. Like yeah, you're it's you're, like, tr- you're building an interwoven thing as opposed to right. building the new thing. It's it's taking. They took a great idea on the outskirts instead of trying to wallpaper over something you already knew with yeah. new ideas. Right. Yeah. Um. All right. So speaking of connecting to the universe, do you do you guys want to talk about the, the wider universe or do you want to talk about, cause they really get into it. And I think that off the bat, before we start, I think everyone should watch the last episode of this. The documentary series. Yes. I'm sorry. They okay. should also watch the last episode of the Mandalorian and the seven before that. And the, was the, the last one was connecting the, connecting the universe was that the last one? yeah the last one was like here's all the references we made to the rest of the universe and also includes the like interviews with the 501st people and all that yeah okay um, also you sh- if you're listening you should also watch the last episode of the clone wars okay agreed sure and ken says to watch all of it constantly no, don't don't <laughs> don't watch all there's of probably it. a few more clone wars episodes you should watch too but damn right <sighs> definitely the last one <laughs> the last one was good. Yeah. It was. I'm not I'm not being sarcastic at all. I think that the the last uh I, I really enjoyed the last four. Uh, was it four? I think it was four. Four or five, once, whatever. Uh, once they yeah, stopped the, trying the to catch people back up again and they were like, Ahsoka's back uh to being in command of troops and they go to Mandalore and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's somewhat important actually for the the rise of it, but I think the this last episode where they connect to the like rest of the universe, they don't talk about some of the parts that I actually have like legitimate questions about, but it was really cool to see like you mentioned earlier, Kit, hey, we found this Kenner toy that famously was never in anything. You wanna use it? I hope that they do that with more stuff. I hope that they take some of the mini rigs, the Kenner mini rigs and work them in there. That would be great. It would be pretty that- cool to see an on screen E Wing. The, the orange thing. I don't even know what it's called. The orange thing that would fold in half and like it kind of looks like a coffin spaceship. I don't know. Uh, I had that when I was a kid. They, they should work that in there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, bringing I'm back- unfamiliar with this orange coffin. Now I'm like, what is, what is, what is that? What's the orange coffin? What? It, I will it? look it up right now and tell you what the name is. I'm, I'm down. I'm very down. Okay. Well, or like, okay, my, my... I'm ashamed that I don't actually know. My go-to would be like seeing like T-65. It is the AST-5. AST-5. Okay, now we have to pause the According podcast. According to the box. Yeah. Uh, and like look at whatever this thing is. It stands for Armored Sentinel Transport Vehicle. Oh, Number wow. Five. This is what a is this random thing? toy thing. That is hilarious. Wow. That so, is like a so Uber the- toy toy. All of the mini rigs were um, 
some of them were kind of close. Like they made a tiny miniature version, like a like an escape pod sized version of the Imperial shuttle, and uh, they made six. the same type thing with the um, the sail barge. And um, but most of these. So the story behind these is Kenner wanted something. In the movies, they didn't have anything that was small enough, like a, a small vehicle that they could sell at a cheaper price point. They wanted something in between the the individual figures and the full-size vehicles, like an X-Wing or a Snowspeeder, and that were the cheapest vehicles. They needed something in the middle. So they just started inventing stuff. Kenner just started coming up with stuff to sell in this price range. And um, they they got, got somebody. They started it with Empire Strikes Back. I think I don't think that there was anything before that. But um, they basically just had like artists come in and be like, just make something that's really small that would look okay in Star Wars. That INT four. There's something in here called an INT four, and it yeah. looks very much like what end up being the clone gunships. If you look if for, you tell for if those a, of us, for those that are just listening at home, we'll put the, we'll put some of these images up on Instagram oh, on yeah. the, we were gamers Instagram. So you can get a look at what we're talking about too. Absolutely. So if you're, if you're at your desk at work, you don't have to Google it yourself, check out the Instagram and you'll see some of these photos of what we're talking about. Wow. Wow. Oh, the INT four fits inside of the AT AT. That's insane. <laughs> oh wow okay that is crazy it's like a weird little like a skim walker that's okay that is interesting yeah i would weird. be so down to see especially the the coffin one that you mentioned the the, the ast yeah the ast5 yeah. is i remember seeing that and there's stuff too because we i mean for those who listen i work in a comic shop and we get stuff people who bring stuff in to sell and there's times where we get stuff where we're just like what is this and we just have to look at like okay it was from kenner the branding is this and we pull it up and we find these things and they're just like forgotten to time it's pretty cool though yeah they are that's pretty sweet nice pull um yeah for me it would be like an e-wing some sort of actual ship that has existed in the like canon or previous canon that never really made a an appearance i mean the e-wing i already got, is very, I already got very the outrider, similar to so. <laughs> yeah I say the E-Wing is very similar almost to uh, it's uh, one, the moldy crow. It's also similar to a Raptor or no, not a Raptor, a uh, Viper from Battlestar. Oh yeah. Very, very close to a Battlestar Viper. That's interesting. I, I hadn't, I'm sure I've seen it before, but it's also one of those things where it's like, I know there's a K-Wing that I couldn't describe to you if I, it, to save my life. So what is the moldy crow? The moldy crow is uh Cal Katarn's, ship from dark forces oh yeah that's much bigger right because that's like a gunship that he has yeah i mean it depends on the the iteration because sometimes it looks like it's just a a two-person seater and then sometimes it's depicted as a much bigger ship so Hmm. that's the fun of star wars how'd you guys feel about the tie fighter bending in half i i was down for that cool yeah, it was a cool presentation because you kind of expect, like, your mind is expecting certain, it's going to land, but then, like, how does he get out? Because he doesn't have a landing platform. He doesn't have a, a a ramp to come over to, which would be really funny if they, five guys run over a little ladder to <laughs> <laughs> Instead, it, like, it folds up and it's like, oh, like, 
especially because again it is that it's the changing of expectations of like you're like okay he's gonna land and then it starts to fold you're like what my mind is bending like what is going on here well it's so, never happened before right like they're yeah. always standing up like normal tie fighters in formation on their wingtips yeah and so are that they was standing or are they are they hanging i don't I'm know trying to remember See, if i've thing. ever I, seen i've never TIE looked closely sitting enough. on their wings well in, I mean, you got to take what you get with rebels, and that's you never know. Oh yeah, I guess like, I, yeah, I guess that, that there is that. I was, a I, lot was, of I was just focusing on the movies, but yeah, sitting on the ground in rebels. Yeah, yeah. Um, Filoni said something interesting in here that was, "Hey, it's animation, so sometimes the representation is what it is." Like when they were talking about creating the dark saber, um, for screen for live action he's like you know just uh, just get it close because like it's animation is a style yeah yeah so and that was know. that's one thing that i've heard a lot of people complain about is not that it's 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 more to the style fact of like people hate that in rebels the lightsabers are thinner and it's like that's the style for it yeah and the style is different like when you see yoda in rebels it's different than when he how he appears in clone wars because that's just how they depict him yeah and that's the style of that show. I have less of a it. I have less of an issue with the style and more like it took me aback that the Tie Fighters could do this because I read comics all the way through the nineties. They just they never dealt with it. They just the Tie Fighters landed on their wings. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. And then you just assumed they had like a rope ladder to get out or something. Yeah. You know. I like think. A, I mean. Yeah, they probably do have that like an emergency like a too, but also hatch or something like that. Yeah. Well, also, too, like, usually, depending on, like, where you see them sitting on their wings, um, it's usually, like, in the factory. It's like, okay, well, that's a that's a different, that's, when you see them in, I want to say in most hangars, they are, like, held by those pods, and then you kind of drop in from a top. But in, like, Rebels, I specifically remember them being in TIE, fight, TIE Fighter factories, and they're even on, they're sitting on their wings, and I think sometimes on, lev, like, maglev stuff to, like, to, to move them around. It was interesting to me that they didn't use a different tie fighter, like a tie interceptor or a tie X or a tie advance or a tie anything else where they could have been like, yeah, you know, tie fighters or tie fighters. This guy's important. It's weird that he landed in a normal tie fighter. Well, he didn't though. That's just it. Like that's, that's part of the subverting your expectation is you saw a standard tie fighter and it wasn't. And that's that. At that point, you're like, "Oh shit! Okay, things are different now. Things are not what I expected." And it's if he had shown up in an you know an interceptor or tie bomber, you'd have been like, "Okay, well, this is a special tie bomber. That's why." But it's like your mind, you would have already been adjusted. Like, okay, my expectations are what they are, and this took it that extra step by putting you in a little bit more familiar ground. Yeah, it took me aback for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was just gonna say that um, Tie Fighters don't land; they crash or get shot down. But, <laughs> but then, like, I, so much of. But then, going off of what you were saying, so and a, a lot of this, I think, is is from the old canon and the old um, role playing game and stuff, where they frequently talk about the fact that like Tie Fighters were meant to be disposable and cheap. They were built. The Empire built them. They didn't have shields. They were they were like, we're just gonna we're you have one X wing and we're gonna launch a hundred Tie Fighters and we don't care if we lose five pilots because they're meaningless to us. We just want to have the cheapest 
easiest to produce TIE fighters that can go and shoot stuff down. So it is kind of funny to see uh, a high-ranking official in one. I yeah. mean, Vader was in one too, but but uh, a, and they a fancier talk about one. In, but in Rebels too, how they were developing one with shields and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, did you have like a favorite universe connection or like oh cool they brought that over when they mentioned him in the last episode or something maybe that wasn't in the last episode of this behind the scenes stuff that you were like oh yeah why didn't they talk about this? I think my my favorite thing was when they talked about bringing in the 501st because they had like I had actually heard about that prior to the special. The there's there's different groups of like the 501st that were they kind of let it slip that hey by the way we got to be on the set for this. We got to because they ran out of suits. And then like when they got to that point, Ebony heard it and she's like, "What? That's amazing." And I'm like, "I know." And it's like that's a cool revelation to have and they did a really good job of presenting it and like at, that was that was probably the highlight of that episode. I mean, there's definitely other things like the with the troop transport scene like brought to life, but that was probably my favorite. Maybe second by the inc- the incinerator trooper. I, I I was happy. I mean, I don't know how how extended universe this is, um, but I I was super happy that they had the death troopers in there because I love death troopers so. Did they oh, right, mention yeah. how, I mean, so one of the implications of the Death Trooper was that they all died on Scarif. So how did they bring them back here? Or they just, now they've I changed the canon and they didn't all die on Scarif. Well, the ones on Scarif died. I don't think that they they ever meant to imply that all of the, de- that those were all of the Death Troopers in existence. Weird that you wouldn't have had them pop up at any other time, you know? Well, they were invented in like I know, I know, I know. But like, I mean, I was trying to make it neat and clean. I'm like, oh yeah, there were only like two squads of Death Troopers, and they're all dead now because they're on Scarif. I mean, they're like they're the they're the Navy SEALs. They're the elite. So, like all the times we've seen troopers, it's usually just been like you said with Tie Fighters. Like, "Eh, throw a hundred at them, we'll see what happens. We've in some extended universe, we've seen other teams like Scar uh, Scar Squad. And stuff in the comics where they're like, oh, these are elite troopers where they're specialized just for this. So Yeah, I do like the Death Trooper a lot. I just uh, was taken to be like, oh, those are Death Troopers. Weird. But it's cool to see him again. I was so happy. That was like, I knew that at that moment that Jon Favreau was Santa Claus because uh, (laughs) right around Christmas he gave me uh, episodes with with Death. Really, the the last episode of The Mandalorian just like... uh, I felt like Taika just hit the nail right on the head and, and the, with a sledgehammer, dude. Yeah. I, I love speeder bikes. I felt like he had just the right amount. That was of mine. Having the, having the two guys, <laughs> having the two guys, uh, talking like yeah. troopers in the beginning, the two scout troopers, uh, and then having, um, uh, IG 11 riding through town, uh, like in the, in the animated, the Tartakovsky animated thing. And, and shooting stuff like I I don't know I just I felt like that episode was so great I felt I, I, I loved that episode I felt like they had and it's, this is probably Taika again but the moment that whoever came up with the idea for the biker trooper to shake his pistol yeah. <laughs> like it was gonna yeah, do was something to make his accuracy better yeah uh, is when 
you get to have the moments that didn't land in a lot of the newer Disney stuff, I think, of like trying to create comedy uh, out of levity, right? Uh, it just seems like they they have such a good pace in, in that. And, and yeah, bringing the bike troopers back was going to be my thing that I wish they had talked about, like bringing, bringing those across. They did a lot. I mean, they talk about like, I didn't even know about the ice cream machine thing. Like, like this is, this is a thing oh, that I yeah. didn't like the, what's his name? The dude's name, the running guy. Wilfred, oh, I don't know. Wilfred something. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's, it was in, it's in empire strikes back where he just, they just grab, they grab a prop and get, say just run off with this way. And it's, it's an ice cream machine. And they, that's yeah. how they, they re-earned that by making that the container for the Beskar. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the but getting the insight into the community, that's a community thing, right? Like, they picked that up from going to Star Wars Celebration. So, that's cool. A lot of that's cool. But it's time, though, for you to answer questions that I wish that they had answered... I was hoping for the Filoni Explains episode, and it never came. So someone who has more knowledge of this universe has got to answer these questions, because they are now directly connecting this back to the Clone Wars series in multiple occasions. You don't need to have watched it, but if you have watched it, I I need to know some things you can explain for me. You can try. I mean, the thing is, too, some of the still, even with Clone Wars and Rebels, there's still stuff that's not fully kind of delved into. Like, they talk of clans and... Oh, sorry, I'm I'm, I'm, burying, I'm spoiling the lead, but go ahead. How are the Mandalorians a creed, not a race? I will, I will go with my guess. And I, I haven't ever... I don't think that I've ever heard anybody explicitly say this, but my feeling is, is that it went from being a race because, because they had a, a planet in clone wars, but then they got uh, destroyed uh, because of uh, at the end of the clone wars, the, the, they got. Um, and so there is a, there's clearly uh, through, uh, rebels and um, this, we know that there's a diaspora um, and that that's probably when they started saying probably I'm sure that they took people who weren't Mandalorians, like they would adopt Mandalorians. Uh, they probably were fine with adopting Mandalorians before the Clone Wars, but I'm sh- I think I feel like after the Clone Wars uh, that with the the what the empire did to them and having the diaspora that it was probably became much more important that that they were just as a, a matter of survival being able to have it be a creed and anybody could be a mandalorian and anybody can join us if you follow the code yeah and it's actually similar to the way they did the, the sith in old canon the sith was a race it was a it, they did have a planet and they did practice the dark side of the force. But then after millennia of wars, they were decimated and it became more of a tradition that was carried on by a wide variety of people, not just the genetic Sith. And 
it became more of like, well, these are our teachings and these are our beliefs. And that's what the Sith becomes. So that by the time we get around to, you know, um, the Phantom Menace, it's like, oh, no, these are their beliefs. Uh, uh, Palpatine is a Sith by dedication, by creed, as opposed to being a genetic Sith from the planet uh, that I don't remember. I want to say Malachor, but I'm Sounds probably right. not. Yeah. So that it's it's similar to that where the then that's the kind of the problem is like because we've had so many preconceived notions of like when we just started out with oh Boba Fett's a Mandalorian okay well then that's that's where he's from uh, not exactly and you just build all these stories and just kind of your own expectations fill in the gaps till now when we see I think one of the best ones is showing is uh, seeing Sabine uh, Sabine Wren's story in rebels it's like you see like oh this person looks like they could be of asian descent this these people look like like they're clearly uh maybe Finnish or uh or just you know pretty white to put to put it straight um and you see different nationalities to a degree so it's like okay it doesn't have to be just a genetic person from this planet it can be people who adopt it and people who come in and it's i mean that's that's what i've kind of gathered over these years now and so by the time we get to like you know this is my creed. This is my religion. It's that's what it is. It's interesting I guess, to me yeah. that they don't explicitly still seem to say what happened to the Mandalorians. They say that Sabine developed a weapon. The weapon got used against the Mandalorians, and their planets decimated. But but by the end of Rebels, you get the idea that maybe like there's actually a whole group. I mean like. What's her name that I actually kind of don't like from Clone Wars? Um, the sister of the Bo-Katan. Leader. Yeah. Bo-Katan is supposed to be, like, redeemed by Sabine's arc, even though she's pretty much responsible for a lot of the problems that Mandalore has had. Uh, by starting up Death Watch with what's-his-name? You can come up with all these names that I can't remember from uh, Vizsla. Vizsla. Um, Prey Vizsla, who's John Favreau's character. Yeah. Um, so Prey Vizsla, Bo-Katan. Bo- Bo- Bo-Katan. Start the Death Watch. Uh, not start, but they're they're part because the Death Watch have been around for a while already. Okay. And then a lot of problems happen, and then she's now the leader of their people. At the end of Sabine's arc, what people then, if, if, is this some, is Din Djarin part of some like splinter group that's not actually the Mandalorians? And then why, why is there only one? There's a lot of like open stuff here of like, well, who, then who is Boba Fett a part of? And is, why is there only one above ground and all that kind of stuff? If they're not part of the main group. There's, there's definitely, um, Mandalorians still living on Mandalore under um, imperial rule, under imperial rule, in sort of the Vichy France sort of sense, but that, like being occupied and having to, or but uh, having to ha- having having Mandalorians do the rule, do, doing the ruling, but those the Mandalorians who are in charge are directly puppets. Um, yeah, they're they're a puppet government of the empire, but then there's also the people who are living 
off world and i mean there's clearly uh, a large group of mandalorians who resent this and whether they're whether they're living on on the mandalorian in the mandalorian system or not um there's there's there there there's clearly uh, a lot of uh mandalorians who don't want to participate into the empire but by the time by the time we're watching this the empire is gone right to a degree so not in rebels no no i'm sorry we're going back to the mandalorian oh in in mandalorian yeah 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 so we're going back to the mandalorian time frame knowing what we know from rebels mandalore is free now mandalore was freed from at that point the 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 rule uh, actually i was gonna say about the rule of the empire but they're not because at the at the end of at the end of rebels i'm actually i'm, I'm mixing things up now too because i'm going back to clone wars thoughts at the end of rebels it's still pre like pre it's it's still just it's still before the galactic civil war so like there's a lot that can happen there right but by the time we get to the mandalorian you think that the more stuff has happened to Mandalore that they haven't told us about? Because by then you'd think oh, yeah. all these people would go back to Mandalore, right? Like, yeah, no, I no. think that I think that definitely um, that uh, and and they talk about it in the show. Um, Werner Herzog's character that I can't think of what his name is right now, um, but he he talks about about that, and um, I, I mean, I I, I always. I, we were told previous I, I to something all this happened at post post rebels and pre Mandalorian or pre between rebels and the end of rebels and and the beginning of or, and return of the Jedi clearly something happened somebody some some part of my memory comes back to when the expanded universe existed during the prequels we got the stories that told us that Boba Fett and Jango Fett were like pretty much the last Mandalorians because their planet had been destroyed by war. Right. Mm. And that's, that's like pre redux. And so now, now we don't have like a whole bunch of reasons for those people to exist. And so who does Boba Fett end up being? If these were the rules that were in place, you know, during the war, and if they they did do something to the planet of Mandalore, why does Boba Fett get to be Darth Vader's right hand man? <laughs> because yeah, I, I mean, they're also I, really cagey about Mandalore and or not Mandalore, uh, Boba Fett and his Mandalorian roots. Uh, yeah, well, like, and strangely so because like we have, if you go to Wikipedia and you look up some random character in the in the um in the cantina there will be like 10,000 words of background story on them but they're like people for years have been directly asking it's like boba fett and yoda are the two two that they don't ever want to go into and they want to keep them mysterious and and they're like well is is boba fett a mandalorian and they'd be like well he's wearing mandalorian armor you know, or like, well, he's a clone of a guy who was wearing Mandalorian armor. It's like, it's like they want to save that <laughs> for a later story and they don't want to, they don't want to conflict with it. So they don't want to actually come out and definitively say anything. 
I wonder if it's just because things get too complicated. Yeah, they've watched what's happened with Wolverine over the years. It's like, once you take away that that mis- the mystery, he's no longer that cool, or he's he loses something. And this way, he hasn't lost it yet. I mean, he lost it a little bit when we got to watch him in Clone Wars be a little brat. Yeah, I mean... Although he, him growing up in prison like, explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, him also, there's a lot there too of like him growing up with when he does missions where he's surrounded by clone clone kids who are essentially his twin and being trained by people who have his father's face. There's a lot there when you start to get into it of like the psychology of what happens to Boba Fett over the years. Right. Like that's... There, there's a lot there to pick from, but there's also like as far as like the origin, they're never they're like Kit said they've been very picky about giving you any kind of information. I it's guess like, the origin matters more for Jango Fett than it does for Boba Fett. We know who Boba Fett is, right? Yeah, yeah, and we also know Jango didn't care about taking off his helmet. He's like whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were gonna get there. <laughs> we were gonna get there. Well, I don't think Sorry. that that becomes a thing until after Rebels because nobody in Rebels or or um clone wars ever has a problem taking off their helmet either well, not even the death yeah. watch and, yeah. and maybe that's I maybe pr- that's part of the of what happens during the the purge of mandalore well the and, pur- see that's the thing you keep calling it the purge of mandalore like like it's some sort of thing we know about no i use it because they use it they Who? they use it as um they i want to say they used it in then the mandalorian okay i believe it's i believe it's uh gideon Gideon, who uses that term. Okay. The Death Watch is the ones that saved Din Djarin. Yes. Did, could you place when they did it and which Death Watch did it? Because... I, I would I, I would think that it would have to be during the Clone Wars because there are battle droids trying to yeah, kill him. Right. There's B2 battle droids within the... Okay, so he's saved by the the death watch during clone wars when the death watch are pretty much bad guys. Well, that's, that's the thing too, is like, there's, I think there, when we think of the death watch, you were saying like, Oh, she started the death watch with Vizla. I don't think she did. I think they existed for a while. Like they, there were, uh, they were the protectorate. They were, then that there's actually a term for protectorate. So I shouldn't say that they were guardians to a degree and they've evolved over time into being, more the like oh we're the we're the idealists we're the we're the zealots and they moved further down that timeline and got more uh trying to think the right words here they got more dedicated to their to their ideals i guess so then he's adopted into the death watch or he's adopted by the death watch and taken to mandalore where he's raised but then becomes part of this splinter group or something like we're going to or or the say he's say he's adopted by one or two specific uh, Mandalorians, whether they're and they're they're part of that team that that saved them. If that person themselves says, you know, the Death Watch isn't for me, after seeing what happens during um, uh, Darth Maul's time on the planet, and he starts, he's like, I'm stepping away, like I I can't be a part of this anymore. He takes Din with him, then then they start their own clan, they start their own sect. Or house, if you will. I'm just very, I'm very lost in the amount of connections they managed to establish, and then also didn't answer what any of it means. 
<laughs> masterful, huh? Like it, I- it, it leaves it leaves it such fertile ground when we know that going into the next season with certain casting news, we're like, okay, well, we, then I guess we're gonna get some answers maybe for some of that. That's, I mean, and okay, again, I try, I'm trying not to bury the lead for anything else you want to talk about. So, well, I guess maybe <sighs> I've managed to avoid most of the casting spoilers. I've unfollowed oh, all the okay. twitters. I don't read the news because I don't like that stuff. It happened to me a lot on Walking Dead where like, uh, this has been years now, but uh, Sonequa Jones, who played a character on that show, was cast in another show. And they're like, look, she got cast as a regular on this other show. I guess she's the person that dies in this season finale. Yeah. And I'm like, well... I guess even casting news isn't safe anymore because you put that in the title of your little thing where you're like, this character dies and it's a picture of her. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I okay. was already yeah. off that bandwagon of the walking dead. So I, but I, but I feel you, I know that I know what you mean. But then again, the hard part on that too, is that even if you, even if you were only partially interested in the, in the walking dead, you were, you in particular were very much geared towards the show she was moving to so it's like, well, yeah, I'm doubly spoiled because I know this and I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know. How do you guys end up feeling about this type of spoiler, quote unquote, spoiler of like, here's casting news. I know one of them. Should we talk about the one that I know? I only know of two. And okay. we probably, the one that you know is probably one, one of the of two, two that I know. Ken, do you know of some? I know of probably all of them. Okay. Because I've I've just been exposed. So right. So if you don't want to know stuff that has been spoiled for season two already about casting or whatever, or characters that may show up, tune out for uh, f- f- so let's say five minutes because I only want to talk about the one that I know. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Boba Fett. Tell us the one that you know. Okay. Right. Bo- okay. Boba Fett has the guy that plays Boba Fett or Django Fett, I guess. Tamura Morrison. I am so excited for him to be in there. Will be coming back to play. We assume Boba Fett. But if you are like me, he could play Rex. He could play Rex. Thank you. <laughs> Thank he you. He could play any clone. He could play a clone, and that <laughs> was what I was hoping one of you would say. Because yeah. to me, that's the one I was I was upset when someone posted to me. I wasn't upset at the person, I want to be clear, uh, because they didn't know. But the title was Boba Fett coming to season two, and what you should have said was Tamara Morrison coming to season two because he could play any clone. Yep. There have been other, did we talk about it last episode that there have been other announcements? No, there were things in the Mandalorian that have um, foreshadowed ah. Boba Fett. So this is, yes, I think we did talk about this before, but we should go through it again. There was the so scene there's the spurs. There's the spurs on Tatooine for yeah. Ming-Na Wen's character who is open-ended. Clearly and was the, left and alive. That and the the musical cue from the special edition uh, 
the so in 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 the New Hope special edition when he shows up in the hangar bay, they play a musical cue and they use the same musical cue in that in that same scene. Ah, okay. In the Mandalorian. Okay. As well. So okay. so pretty clearly Tamora uh it will be playing Boba Fett, right? Well, the thing is too, I mean, it could be a, it could be a flashback too. Red herring? It I mean it could be a red, it could be a red herring, but it could also be a flashback. Like he could be I mean, because hypothetically he died at the end of Empire or Return of the Jedi, or not the end, but in the beginning of it, that he's like, oh, remember that time that you were talking to that one Mandalorian that wasn't quite a Mandalorian? And it's a flashback to Boba, you know, pre uh, Return of the Jedi. So who's like the character, though, that saves Ming-Na that is part of season two, right? Yeah, it, it very much could be him. But I'm just saying, like, there's it's you don't necessarily need to. It's it's not set in stone that's going to be him. They could also have I, him be. It could be Rex is who shows up, or it could be God, flashbacks. So the awesome. things the things are open. It would be it's so very much awesome the if same. The same. He could also yeah. do both. He could be. Yeah. He literally uh, could just be on the show as a lot. Of, yes, <laughs> he could yeah. just be on the show as a lot of people. Well, he can't be. If fives. it's a Filoni episode, he's going to play Rex. I mean, <laughs> like. Filoni is just Filoni is going to try and work in uh, Ahsoka and Rex into every single thing that he does if he gets a chance. So, right, um, I'm kind of okay with that. That's okay. So that's the, I guess the other one that leaked out then is uh, Rosario Dawson coming to the show. Yeah. Oh, that's... I guess, yeah. I guess I knew three people then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Rosario Dawson coming to the show one. with which people are speculating other things. Well, that one is unclear, right? Like, have they announced who she is playing? I don't know if there's been. I'm I'm like I looked at something recently that's a, a recent update, and it says that it's rumored, and I'm like I thought it was pretty hard confirmed, but then again, like unless you know, you know the officially sanctioned. Uh, Twitter for Star Wars says it, then I guess it's probably not. Yeah. Has has Lucasfilm confirmed any of them, or is it just like Hollywood Reporter on all of them? I think it's kind of just like Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, it's, I'm looking at it right now. The THR report. So yeah, the Hollywood Reporter yeah. report. So yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think any of them, any of the new characters, have been confirmed by like an official Lucasfilm okay. source yet. But then there's also like some of them that have been named are also like, oh, well, this person has had like like tomorrow, like uh, Mr. Morrison. I, I, I don't want to mess up his name. Um, there's been another character that they announced. And I'm like, oh, well, that 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 actor's had a role before. So you're like, are they playing that role? And so you're like, OK, well, do we take that at, at face value or is it something like like uh, John Favreau where it's like, oh, he played a, a role previously but now he's playing a similar role and it's because he's his own descendant in this role. Like, how does that work out? Oh, that's right. Yeah. He yeah. played, he was the, the heavy, the blue, uh, heavy Mando in, um, Mandalorian. And in that he's, he's another Vizsla. He's his own descendant. That's just, that's just EU info. Delicious. Though, right? That's not in the show. No, that's in the show. Really? Or, it's. I mean, it's confirmed that he's another Vizsla. I think it's by the credits or something. Okay. But they, they, he is confirmed to be playing the same, from the same family, the same house. I mean, you know that that's in the credits, right? Like, 
Filoni's pilot name is Trigger Wolf or something, you know? Like, I, I don't... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he put Vizsla down, but it's not something that's going to come back. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that one, because, I mean... People are saying who she'll play, but we'll, we won't get into that one. I think yeah. uh, the there's other, there's there's one other one that I thought that, but I guess we'll leave that one for we'll leave that for the show. Okay, we'll leave that yeah. for the show. So yeah, that, I, that, I don't want to bring any up. Okay, yeah. so that's fine. we'll we'll leave it there. That's been five minutes. People are coming back in. No more spoilers. Are there things that are not spoilers that you want to see for season two? or need to see or want explained. Not, I mean the thing with most of the stuff we've that as far as the, if people want to find them, the rumors, the rumors and the close confirmations we've had are pretty much it. I kind of want to go into Mandalorian as clean as possible. It's just kind of like, let me just let me let it wash over me. Let me enjoy the show as it comes. How do you feel about and, it being more of you guys both, I mean, how do you feel of it being more of what we got in season one? Like, I think a couple people I talked to were like, I really hope that baby goes away before season two. I was like, wow. Okay. I don't hope that, but I'm just repeating. The baby's what other not people going say. away. I know. The baby's <laughs> that, never that, going that away. Person, way. I don't know what they think is going to happen, but there's no way. The, the way that that baby, like, it was a hit with the the non-star wars fans across this country that baby's not going away anytime soon <laughs> merchandising merchandising yeah. <laughs> merchandising with the real money even, the movie's made even if they had thought that the like even if favreau was like and then uh we're gonna we're not we're not gonna do anything to him he's not gonna die or anything but we're gonna we're gonna write him off the show early on in season two even if that had been the case like yeah. they would have been like no the the disney would have been like no you are you are absolutely not doing that. This it's baby like what happened staying. with Herzog, right? They said that they wrote him out in episode. No, the uh, uh, Carl Weathers was originally going to be done by episode three. Yeah, and then they liked him yeah. so much, they're like, "No, no, you gotta stay, man." Yeah, I think yeah. the the balancing act becomes between like look at let's look at Baby Groot, like the end of Guardians one. You've got Baby little little potted plant Groot. Then you have baby Groot in number two, and then you have kind of a knowing teen Groot in uh, Infinity War slash, uh, I guess, Infinity War. And then so it's like you've got that weird, like that. I don't think anyone wants to see teenage baby Yoda, where it's no. like just like, uh, I'm no, just thank you. Leave me alone, Din. I don't care. Like, no <laughs> one wants. <to> <laughs> That's my baby Yoda impression. Everyone. He's force um, throwing his stereo across the room. Yeah. And I like as much as Groot was like, I enjoy Groot as a character, but in the infinity war movies movie, he's not the most engaging. Like I'm not like I, who enjoys teenagers. I mean, really anyone like period, let alone <laughs> fictitious ones. I, you know, yeah. what's going to happen is that episode one, that baby's going to have a new outfit so that they can sell a whole round of new baby Yoda stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if they even need to, considering the, the the plethora of things that I still need to buy, like 
there's a there's a Mayfex uh, one coming on the way that's going to have more articulation than the Black Series one. I I just give you all the money. Just here it is. I, I, I I'm just, just saving. I'm not it. buying any Baby Yoda stuff. Well, my uh, Katie already bought a backpack with Baby Yoda <laughs> in it. I'm holding out. Oh wait, I'm holding. I'm holding out for those droid people to make the animatronic one, and then I'm going to do that. Okay. That's all I'm doing. I think that for me, uh, I would like season two to explain more about what happened to the Mandalorians because it seems like we're just left in this limbo of like, yeah, they're cool. Like, okay, but like explain why the lady with the hammer is still around, but the rest are all dead and how they're connected to actually like a lot left here, please. Oh, sorry. Let me just interject. I really liked uh, in the the episode about the music that the name of the song for her, for hammer time, hammer time. Yeah. And that, and that Favreau's like, is it really called Hammer Time? Okay. <laughs> that was a great moment in that in that documentary. You know, I liked that whole episode about the music because it really underscores <laughs> what I liked about Michael Giacchino's Rogue One soundtrack and less about what I liked about John Williams redoing his music for the other movies. Uh, Ludwig and Michael Giacchino nail an undertone of like, Hey, horns and strings in soft moments and in exciting moments. And then also go out on a limb a little bit, uh, he does it obviously much more so here with the like recorders and the like Western showdown music than they do in Rogue One. But there's definitely a lot of Rogue One that sounds very Star Wars and a lot of it that doesn't. And a lot of this that sounds not Star Wars, but then they bring you back. And uh, it's nice that it was close enough, but also that they really wanted to push it out there. It's funny that you mentioned those two soundtracks because I, it might've been because it was the first non John Williams and I, I'm not counting clone wars, the, the movie, uh, the, the, that, but like theatrical release, live action movie. Uh, I, I, it's not, it's not that I didn't like the rogue one and I, I love, I loved the rogue one movie but i felt like the music was very unmemorable and i had a lot harder time connecting to that soundtrack than i did uh any of the other even even the like solo wasn't john williams either but i had and part of that was because that that music was borrowed much more heavily from john williams I guess maybe that's in, why I forget that Solo wasn't John Williams. is because it borrows so hard that it's not yeah. its own thing. But I had none of that problem with the Mandalorian, and I loved the Mandalorian music. I thought that that his like that like uh, recorder theme that that they they talked about in that episode um, was just terrific, and I I really liked 
um, just a lot of points during that. I, I, I loved how um, in the in the episode where they're on the 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 prison ship, they're trying to get the one guy out. Oh man, um, so and, good! And the it, it was like because they shot that movie the the second half of that episode they shot it like a, a horror movie with the Mandalorian being the bad guy. So good. And, it's so and good. It, it sounded like it sounded like a John Carpenter like synthes- like one guy on a synthesizer. Yep. John Carpenter 80s horror it movie. It really did. Music. It did. Yeah. I thought that the music for Mandalorian was really terrific. That was Rick um Famuyiwa. 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 I'm trying, man. Yeah. Bye. Uh, that was his episode and like, apparently people, did you catch that when he was talking about it in the first episode of this, he, people at Disney were like, well, that was interesting. Yeah. And for me, it's one of the ones that, that episode. I, I love that it. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like to me, the ones that aren't as good might be, although they have really the, the best scene where he's drinking the, the baby Yoda's drinking the tea. The seven samurai one is kind of like, uh, I mean, that was all right. But when yeah. you get off the beaten path with the Mandalorian and you let his character be this like quirky, I mean, this like, I can't, he, he gets beat up Yeah, almost every episode all the way up until the prison ship. And then on the prison ship, when Bill Barr is like, aren't you some sort of cool guy? And he finally shows it off when it's like, oh, this whole ship's full of droids. Yeah. You know, uh, that was cool. I'm definitely going to watch Mandalorian season one again now that I've watched this looking for things that they talked about, but also looking for things like, can I see how they shot around volume? Can I see like, what did I miss about story wise stuff? I, I didn't really plan to rewatch it as much as I liked it. And now I definitely will. But anyway, Oh, I also had one other thing. Go ahead. I had one other thing to, to uh, one other music related thing. Oh, so yeah. um, me personally, I thought that uh, the force awakens music was great. And I loved that soundtrack from the very beginning. And then I felt like um, the last Jedi seemed like it was an awful lot of rehashed themes from the, the previous seven movies. And um, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up, Andy is because you don't watch the the special features in Uh-oh. the last Jedi special features. They talk about how differently Ryan Johnson did the scoring that so when, when you score a movie, the director works with the the composer and they, you know, like the, the, they send him a rough cut of the movie and then say like, this is kind of what I'm looking for in this part. And this is kind of the music, you know, like, like I want this to be, uh, dramatic and I want this to be really, really sad and that kind of stuff. And then the, the, the composer comes up with something and they, they, they go back and forth and, and, uh, figure out, get something that the director wants. So what, what, uh, or that's how it normally works with Ryan Johnson. Uh, his, his brother almost always does his music or always does his music in his other movies. And, and so he had his brother, uh, put together a soundtrack for the movie using existing John Williams music and send it to John Williams and say, here, record this, which is why that 
soundtrack sounded and like i didn't know that at the time but but i remember listening to that soundtrack and thinking like well this is just kylo's theme from the last movie this is just ray's theme from the last movie there's like the spark and that's the only new song uh on that soundtrack and then the rest of it was like well this is this music and stuff and then when i watched that special feature on the the last jedi um and then i was like oh that makes so much sense why this one soundtrack sounded so much sounded different than all of the other john williams soundtracks when he normally comes up with so much more new music in his in his movies i really feel like that's kind of disrespectful to john williams yeah i kind of felt that way too um but it explained a lot about it it made sense when i when i watched that and i was like oh okay that makes total sense confirms a lot of my theories about ryan johnson for sure his brother but we don't need to get into that today because <laughs> i still want to know what your guys thoughts are on the upcoming wave of comic-con toys just the comic-con stuff not the not the other other stuff that's dropped in between then and comic-con releases and so forth i mean i know that you're holding back opinions on lots of different stuff let's just call it all the wave the post-summer wave so i mean i'll I'll start off with uh the 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 clone wars era ahsoka tano being released which is mostly parts of reuse but a new Ahsoka ahsoka tano with her blue lightsabers for when she farts that when she fights mall (laughs) yeah i'm sorry oh yeah but there's that there's also two clone troopers with that have the helms from the clone wars that are coming out i'm sorry there's one but i you got some of those um i i have not yet um i'm still sort of on the fence i i really want to because i really like that the and um we're talking, first, about the, right? we're talking about the, the helmet design where they paint their helmets to look like Ahsoka's face face markings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. the, 501st, um, I really right? like that, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, the 501st with the Ahsoka face markings on their helmet. I really like that, although, like, I've pretty much... I, I just need to stop buying 6-inch. Like, <laughs> I need Kit Vista to be my last 6-inch figure because I just... I need to not... I need to draw the line. So... I'm fighting it. I'll, I might get one or two. I might end up getting. I might no end up getting it. her and like two of them. I don't know. I want to because <laughs> they look really cool. But <laughs> I, mean, I, I, need, I feel you, man. And then, and then they also did two Mandalorians in the pack as well. One is a uh, Mandalorian loyalist, and then the. I want to say I almost want to say Death Watch, but I think they have a different title because they're part of Maul's. Um, oh yeah, they, it's of like a Maul trooper or something like that. Yeah, anyway. he even has the horns on the helmet too. Were yep, they for, okay? Uh, so that was I, in I actually, the episode. Yeah, in in Solo, the criminal organization is Crimson Dawn. Is that uh, what they're called? It's on... called Black Sun. Black Sun. No, no, no. In in Solo, they call him Crimson Dawn. They're run by Black Sun. Um, in the movie Solo, yeah, they're part of the they're part of the the Shadow Collective, which is Black Sun. 
but there okay. is there is so also I think, the, I think that yeah. okay so in clone wars he takes over black sun yes right? which is part of the five okay. but in solo they call it they call his thing crimson dawn right no so, so there are the five is, syndicates is, i know this one because i looked it up there's the, okay there's are, the, are his mandalorians crimson dawn or is it just the criminal organization that's crimson dawn the criminal organization is crimson dawn okay he he takes over black sun uh and then crimson dawn huts pikes and i'm gonna have to look the last one up cremora are the five syndicates from that thing okay and those are part of the shadow collective i think is what he calls it okay because the crimson dawn thing because uh because he is red his his face is red and there's concord dawn which is the i think it is it a moon i think it's a moon of mandalore so i always thought that maybe maybe the the red mandalorians were crimson dawn and then after all of this they just became the criminal organization i think like what he, he ends up doing i'm pretty people. sure what what they imply that he ends up doing is that he takes over like most of the five syndicates right runs yeah them. yeah yeah I, I i was just saying from from when i heard it in solo i thought maybe that was the name of his of the mandalorians uh, that that join him that paint their helmets red and put the horns on them. Ah, gotcha. Okay. In on Mandalore, so got it. Got I'm it. having I'm having the darkest time trying to. I think maybe okay. So there is a super commando. I think is that yeah that's him. So the super commando action figure is the one with the with the mall spikes on his helmet and everything. So I don't know if that's the name of that faction. It does. And I'm looking through the the description. It just says malls Mandalorians. So okay. Anyway. Well, they should be called Crimson Dawn. I mean, the, it would yeah, make more I sense. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Doesn't he understand branding? Like, get it together. Yeah. You're red. You've got these guys. They're the new Dawn. Get it together, guys. Like. Nice. So yeah. So so th- that's another one that came out, and that was like that was before Comic Con, and then at Comic Con we started to get stuff. Well, they, here's the weird thing: they were more announced and ver confirmed. But they won't be available until September to order, which is essentially right around the corner. Yeah. Well, essentially, what it was is with COVID and everything shutting down and distribution not being what it could and should be, it just they got delayed. And that's the that's the quickest answer you're going to find is that they weren't going to be available in time, so they didn't want to try and put them all up and have it fail. Also, WalMarts and Targets have had a really ha- bad going of putting things up for pre-order oh, and having man. them. I don't like even get me started. Being, yeah. yeah. I want that Getting, silver Mandalorian. Good luck. Oh, you know the... The... Wait, which... which the Beskar the, armor? The Beskar Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was one that was... Another one that was put up around that time. Yep. Yeah. Was Bes- the all Beskar one. All yeah. Beskar Mandalorian, where they redid the paint job, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. To give it the shinies. Mm-hmm. But anyway. what what are the ones they announced for Comic Con? Yeah, Wampa's all. If you a want a Wampa, if you missed him when his first release, he's coming out. Uh, the only one I know is a no Ewoks. Yeah, the Ewok is part of the 
the Heroes of Endor pack, uh -huh. which is a speeder bike. It is a unique um, Ewok, as well as a Han, Luke, and Leia. A lot of them are, like, the Luke and Han are both reused, but they also come with cloaks and helmets. Like, cloth goods cloaks, which are actually kind of awesome. Leia comes with one as well, but she's actually a fair amount of new parts. So that's cool. Um, and yeah, then it's a pretty the, cool little pack. The most important one for Kit, Vintage Collection Clone Wars 501st Arc Troopers. Three pack. Yes. Yes. If that, that's your jam. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a great... That's a great three pack. I, I, I'm, I'm, I wish that they wouldn't. Uh, I, f I feel like the three packs, not not this one in particular, just in general, are are sort of um, overpriced. Um, I, I wish that they would keep them at. at um, I kind of feel like since it's a three pack, it should be like a slight discount over if you were buying three individual figures. But they actually go the other way and mark them up. But yeah, yeah that's a great that's a great pack to get right there. R.I.P. R.I.P. to all the dudes in this pack. Did you end up getting the uh, the Luke three pack from last year? No. Okay. Was it was that pretty like the vintage line for last year was pretty readily available after the fact on their website. So this is one if you're a vintage collector, since there's not as many people out there due to the Black Series being the main focus. This is definitely an opportunity to kind of get, you have a better chance of getting this than you do, say the the heroes of Endor. Really? Yeah, I mean at least for if you're comparing it to last year's, like last year I think was the Sith Trooper, and God, what was last year's Star Wars one? I know there's a Sith Trooper because it came with like a, a load of new equip of accessories, even though it was re-released. They usually re-release all those figures, anyways. But the Star Wars, the three pack of Luke of like from each different movie of the prequel of the original trilogy was readily available for a good long while after. And at the show, they didn't sell out of that one. Yeah. Well, I think I think that the the uh, the, the Luke three pack might have all been repacks anyways. Yeah. I mean, even even before. And I I think that they were all repacks or at least remakes like updates to previously yeah. made figures and then and then they were all going to come out single carded afterwards whereas this these are i don't think we've ever had these three clones no way vintage collection no. i don't think we've ever had these three clones so. well yeah not these three clones and also it's just a matter of different paint jobs especially because the clones like okay it's a lot of the reuse for the parts but there's like okay, now they're getting different paint jobs and that's pretty standard for hasbro there's like well right but like um, for me personally, uh, getting, I, I understand that these are just repainted. It's the same mold and they're just repainted clones, but these are, these are technically new characters that we haven't gotten before. Whereas the Lukes, if they, if they update the face to make it look, you know, maybe a little bit better on a Dagobah Luke, I may not, I'm, pr I'm probably not going to get that for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I it, it. it's still just Dagobah Luke. You'd only uh, grab it for the new card, right? Probably not even then, because I, I, I open them and um, it'd have to be quite a card. I mean, I, I the, <laughs> o the only stuff that I really that I keep uh, that I don't open is uh, I always get two of of the Kit Fisto stuff, and then I keep one of them. Carded. So you open everything, huh? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Toys are meant to be played with. That's what Toy Story Two told us. 
Exactly. <laughs> and then, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because we talked about it before, we really got into it about the carbon freezing chamber when that went up. That's and true. that was an we did, option. Didn't we? And we were like, this feels so kind of empty. It's just kind of like, you, for 50 bucks, you're getting a carded figure and some plastic, but it's not a lot of even plastic. It's just kind of like, here are these plates. If you buy two, if you spend $100, you get two of them and make one whole playset thing. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. And we had even talked about, well, what if they did something like they put cardboard in there to kind of fill in that lower half? What if they did something to make it feel like you got more out of it, even without adding more plastic? Right. And, and we were that like, was oh, they, you said they won't they won't make you cut up the box. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like because it's back in the day. We talked about the powers of the force collection and or was it powers of the Jedi at that time? Maybe um, they had done some cardboard stuff with the packaging and I'm like, they could do that if they put the time into it. In this year's release for the Transformers box set, they are doing, if anyone's familiar with the Transformers animated movie, there's a scene where they face a robotic judge and executioner and so on and so forth. And they drop the, they drop people into a pit. That sounds In this horrible. box set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In this box set, they recreated that the judge's chamber and the pit, and they did all that. And again, if you'd like to check out We Were Gamers on Instagram, you'll see pictures of this. We'll, we'll make, get, the, get those up. Yeah, I'll put all but the pictures it, up in one big... You just click on one, and I'll have all these pictures from the thread. Yes, swipe right on it. Yep. And so in this box set, they have all of it there, but it's like they did just what we talked about. They print the, it's If you buy this box set, you can pretty much just pull it out of the box, set it on your shelf, and you have a full display set up the majority of it's just cardboard and your five figures. And that's something that I thought was like, okay, well, they just showed exactly what they could do. And they're not doing it with that other box set. That's going to be much less plastic. Like they're, this feels like for $10 or actually this is $20 difference, but still it's like, I would like this type of creative thought put into it. And like, they could be like, okay, well, here's, here's all of the, the underlying wires and stuff to go in there and all the different display features. But I mean, we didn't get that with that, and I, I hope there's some thought putting that into the future. Yeah, I, I with that carbon freeze set, I, I feel like they did a really good job with what they put in there, but it just feels part of it's the 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 peg legs to keep it up high enough so that you can have the the chain the I don't know cylinder or whatever that you drop that you lower Han down into and bring him out of, but. I mean, it just, it, 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 it looks like a dock, like, you know, for a boat and yeah. with like posts into the ground. And, and I, I really feel like it needed, and especially like that, that weird wire cage that's at the other end from the, like the platform above the, the freezing Why part. doesn't that have something you can put into it? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it just, it feels, well, I don't even know why that thing's even there. Like why even put on that wire stuff? Like, I mean. If, yeah. if it was in Empire, I I never noticed that there was like weird pipes and <laughs> like uh, wires and stuff it's a around that of part of the thing. Yeah, but like, why would you even put that in? I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think that it would detract any more from the set if that if that like weird spider web kind of metal bars weren't there. But I, I would absolutely prefer if they had some kind of backdrop or something. I don't know. It just it seems. The way that this ended up coming out, the 
the floor and the stairs look great, but it just it feels like a weird set the way that it it ended up. Yeah. And so like I just wanted to focus on like creative packaging can be there if yeah. they take the time and think about it and be like, okay, let's make this feel a little feel a little more full and just put some cardboard in there and pack it in and you could easily make that piece feel a lot more one you're gonna add more detail to it because you're gonna see all the wires and and the the paneling and the grebeline and all that stuff in there like it doesn't have to be textured just word you just used grebeline yeah it's usually used uh so when you're doing kit bashing and models all those little the textures and the the paneling that's all grebeline by kit bashing Uh, you mean putting two kits together yeah i mean two model kits yeah sorry for just speaking in nerd terms He's speaking um, in tongues well yeah well, it's also but not everyone knows what doing a kit bash is so it's definitely a fair point to to go into that depth but like when like lego sets lego sets can have greebling like on the x-wing there's all these little details that are added in by all that additional texture you as you add little pieces here and there right and so like i want that i want that visual texture to be there to see like Looking at the at the transformer set, I'm like, oh, like that's that's exactly what I would have needed, and it looks great. Just fold that up around the bottom, and I feel like it's a, a fuller set. I feel like I'm getting more for my money, even if it's just cardboard, and it's included. And now I'm like, I wish they would have had that thought. I know it's different teams for different lines, so it is what it is. But it just kind of, I don't know. It leaves me wanting more. I think one of Kit's points, and one that I still hold true is looking at this, I really, really feel like they never, they think most people are going to leave it in the box. (laughs) Uh, I mean, oh God, I can't even imagine that, especially for something like this. Like this is made, to me, this sits, I mean, it's not the same dimensions as a Detolf, but as far as like some of the, like I look at that, I'm like, that's probably as wide as a Billy bookcase. And you just set that in there and just start standing your figures up on top of it. Like, yeah, you could put a lot of figures on it. All yeah, your it's, Empire it's, figures could fit on half this thing. Yeah. Anyway. And so that's, I don't know. I want I want a little bit more for my money, and I think that some cardboard is not a lot to ask. I, how do you, so with all these releases, I noticed we were talking in the group chat about how badly they were getting released at, like, Walmart at one in the morning. I hope you got your Ahsoka Tano. Like, right? Like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, five in the afternoon, Target put up the Mandalorian Beskar. Good luck. Sorry if you weren't running a bot. Yeah. Uh, ha- oh, I mean, and should uh, everything just go to Hasbro Pulse or something? Like, what is the thing that should be done in 2020 to make toy buying for collectors better? Well, one thing to remember is a lot of these releases, as, as far as the, the, like the Walmart and the Targets, these are the pre-orders that are selling out. They're not necessarily the entire run. And so you can still, in a month or two, head into a Target and hopefully, I say hopefully, find them on the shelf. Um, we also didn't I forgot to mention, they also released a a Rex droid um, from, if depending on how old you are, he's originally from Star Tours, but then he moved into a cantina in uh, Batu slash Galaxy's Edge. They released a toy of him. Originally, it was available in the parks, but then he ended up popping up. He ended up popping up uh, in this single pack now. And also Cardinal, which is another uh, new EU character. But 
you ho- hypothetically you could still walk into a target and find these after the release whereas the ones there are other ones that are not like there was a transformers uh delorean crossover and there's definitely needs to be some type of control uh mechanism on walmart or target the problem is they're never going to hinder people from selling them out they don't care they don't care about toy collectors they don't care about even toys r us who was a like that was their their focus was toys they didn't care their website was garbage and so you do have things like pulse where if you sign into pulse right now yeah it has a little captera thing of like i'm not a bot but at least it has that at least there's some type of how do we slow down these sellouts to like people who are just running systems to try and get past everything the answer is to try to put up some barriers but walmart's never going to do it they don't care Target's not going to do it. They don't care. Yeah. I I wonder... They could stop doing exclusives. They should, yeah. Well, first of all, exclusives are bad. <laughs> if yeah, they're going to be exclusive, I'm, make them exclusive to your store only, you know? Um, yeah, and it's like, I I do like that there are... The Hasbro's also doing things called like shared exclusive. So you have ones that are like, oh, they're exclusive to Hasbro Pulse and Amazon. Or, you know, this location and this location. So it's like, okay, you're giving additional avenues to make them available. Yeah, that would be better. <laughs> yeah. I think... So... Yeah. It's, I don't know. I think that... Tar- Amazon tried to do this a couple times where it was like, it's Prime only. If you if you had Prime, you got a pre-window for buying that type of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the way either. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the they they they. I would hope that they do something. And it's interesting because some some toy manufacturers like NECA have heard these complaints and they've they've made statements about it, saying like, you know, we're working on it. We're going to try and make it better so that you can get the toys you want, even even if it's from us, or even they've even said like, don't buy from scalpers. Like, know that we are going to do our best to get additional runs made so that these will be available. And yeah. so, I mean, we gave people that, on the main pod, the same advice about ring fit. Don't buy ring fit for $200. It will be back yeah. in stock when the scalpers stop buying them up. Just wait. Yeah. And now they're uh, out for under MSRP on Amazon right now. Yeah. Well, and that's so. the thing too, is like even for like Marvel legends, we'll have, have target exclusive ones and you'll see them eventually go to clearance because it's like, yeah, at one point they were hot, but then, you know, the demand got met up with the supply and they're like, oh, okay, no, but people didn't really desperately need this. And now here they are for, you know, $7. It's like, this is a $30 figure. Correct. Now you got it for Correct. 7 when you spent, you know, 100 because you, you had to have it right away. Correction on Ring Fit. It is now sold out again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw it'll the be best back. I got. Within, yeah, it'll be back. It it was don't, sold out. Don't give it your sold money to scalpers. I mean, period. it's sold out again no, because they put it, it on sale this morning. <laughs> Did you get one? I have one actually. Yeah, I bought oh, it at MSRP. Nice. Uh huh. I just waited. Um, I hurt my triceps playing that game. Ooh. Okay. They don't tell you like to stretch. You should stretch. That's all I have to say. Great. Now we're going to get one more warning on a 
ring fit now. <laughs> the warning should be don't eat probably- this and you got to stretch first. <laughs> the warning should be you're playing ring fit. You're probably a middle-aged dad who's ridiculously out of shape. Make sure to start on novice. <laughs> okay and he's like screw warm up i'm a man (laughs) who needs to warm up i'm already warm it's 80 degrees out (laughs) (sighs) well i i like hearing you guys talk about toys because i i'm not as currently invested in them i i want to do a toy episode where we talk about what we've got though so maybe that's coming up in a month or two could also be a video we could also put something up on the we were gamers youtube and be like hey this is a little bit of a this is a this is our toy room this is some yeah. of the stuff that i've collected over the years this is my favorite thing this is you know if you guys a pile of wasted money shy, but, hey. maybe we'll do it yeah 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 um uh, just uh, also uh if you're still listening to us and you have not watched and you don't know what a kit bash is and that means you have not watched the toys that made us on netflix <laughs> go watch that right now watch the last uh, episode what? That's a throwback to earlier when we were telling people to oh, watch okay. the last episodes of things. No, no, no. Watch the first episode of the toys that made <laughs> us, which is about Star Wars toys. And the whole series is pretty, is great. Yeah. The first um, one's the best the, one. Though. Yeah. But the one about Star Wars, uh, definitely. And, um, for the six inch, uh, Endor set, the Ewok, uh, that they are putting in there is Papaloo. Okay. Oh, I felt like there was more, like, you're going to go into more on who Pop Lou is. Yeah. And <laughs> that the no, inflection no, no. there was, like, from Pop a, Lou, yeah, that's, my that's favorite. a six-inch version of the, of the, of the Ewok that was named Pop Lou in the, the old Kenner of the, of the old Ewoks. It's Pop Lou. Oh. He's even got the same staff. The nice. one with the ribbons on his head or whatever they are. Fle- feathers yeah. or... Yeah, well, feathers. I'm, I'm pretty sure that in Return of the Jedi, he's the one who, when they when they go to the back door of the the bunker, he steals the the speeder bike and the Runs you know six of the seven guys chase him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, so it makes sense Endor. that he comes with the yeah, that he comes with the speeder bike. <laughs> Got it. Which but not the hero I, to nab. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> nice. Toys that made yeah. us a good recommendation. Um if you have stuff you want us to chat about, stuff that we messed up, stuff about Mandalorians, you know that is canon that we don't. Because uh, at this point, you could tell us all sorts of stuff that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but don't tell us spoilers about Mandalorian 2. Oh, yeah, Please don't do, do that. that. No spoilers of Mandalorian 2. Podcast at WeWereGamers.com is a good place to reach out to all those things. Kit and I can read those there. Ken, you should plug your thing. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, so I just recently started up my own, uh, essentially podcast entertainment thing. Uh, my first run was a live stream about Marvel trading cards, specifically Marvel Series Three from 1992. Um, I did my first episode with the artist Ranthony Height and good friend Victor Segura. Um, I've actually got actually, this is an exclusive for the first people for here. Um, my next episode will be August 14th with Victor Segura and hopefully an as-yet-to-be-named artist. And we'll be covering another run of cards and just kind of diving into what we enjoyed about the that era of comic collecting. 
And then at some point in the future, I also have a, a date set for the 21st. And then from there, I'll be bringing on additional guests, uh, much like uh, Andy Thompson and hopefully Kit Kurtisawa. <laughs> and we'll have more people on and you can just talk about cards. Are, are you going to talk about Star Wars comics? I've thought about talking about Star Wars trading cards. The comics will be in the direct podcast. This is the live stream, which is at twitch.tv uh, slash comic banter. Uh, you can okay. also find me at Comic Banter on Instagram for more following. Um, it'll be tr- tr- for the most part the trading card game from Star Wars. We can talk about the trading card game, but there's not a lot of art with that, as far as I remember. No, it's not like art, art. Yeah, it's more like it's more shot stills from the movie and stuff. So that's where right now I'm kind of focusing on card art. Like there is a couple different Star Wars card series that are geared towards the EU, and they cover. A wide a wide variety of artists doing different things from the from the EU, and I do plan on doing that, but it's a more expensive set, so I have to get it. I have to get a hold of it, do scans of it to be able to talk about them more in depth. But Star Wars Gal- uh, Galaxy series card set is on my to do list. Oh, I have those somewhere. See, right now we can get, then we can start setting those dates now and talk about you know Galaxy series one through six, I believe. I don't have a lot of them. I just okay. have some of them. <laughs> Yeah, I use them as there's bookmarks. Of, I I did that with some of my cards, but now I'm going back and buying some of the ones that I missed out on and filling in those gaps. How do you and, have space for all this stuff, man. I don't. Uh, we when we had to clean, we had to move stuff for the cleaning the floors. It was it was a little bit of a nightmare. There's toys and stuff everywhere. <laughs> toys are bad. Cards cards are actually pretty easy to store. They yeah, they don't you can you can fit a lot of because they they. They have boxes and they stack well and the cards are pretty easy to store. Toys are a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> well, They're more cards on comic. Not all uniform sized. Yeah. So yeah, check out at comic banter, all one word on several different social medias. You're likely to find it. I've got the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all for comic banter as well as Twitch. So look for us on social media and you'll find us and be led to the podcast or the the live stream on August 14th and 21st. Nice. All the the carbon scoring stuff we've done so far is on YouTube and on our website, wewergamers.com. I have so much to talk about with the Phantom Menace music, regardless of what you think about the movie. Um, uh, and I'm gonna blow your Andy, mind right now. I'm gonna blow your mind. It, is it your favorite soundtrack too? I love that soundtrack. Okay, I have okay, listened good. to the Phantom Menace soundtrack so many times for such a shitty movie. It doesn't make. But sense. the but the soundtrack is great. It's there's so, so much, good. There's so many it little is, little things like how Anakin's theme goes so to good. goes into Vader or into the Imperial March. Yep. And yep. um, yeah, there's so many little things. It's so great. I remember and when how, I requested this song. In one movie, lot. he tells oh. you that the droid army, it will eventually be the Imperial army. Like, just yeah. with music. And, and the, 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 the song that they play at the end when they're having the parade is the Emperor's yep. music from yep. Return of the Jedi. It's mm-hmm. just sped up and sung yep. by kids. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. All, Are obviously. you going to talk about it being requested on TRL, TRL and they were like, all right, here we go for the 10th time this week. Duel the Fates on TRL. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
Hey, so good. Uh, Andy, do you listen to um, uh, David Collins' uh, Star Wars music stuff? No. What is that? He he's like he's like a person who actually. So I don't know anything about music or music composition or anything like that. But he's like an actual um, composer, I think, mm-hmm. uh, who knows about this and loves Star Wars music. And he goes through. He's on the sound of Star Wars. Yeah, with David Collins, uh, and uh, he has he has the great great stuff to say. Many 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 hours of stuff to say about Star Wars music, and he uh, he has a lot. Uh, I, I highly recommend his, okay. his, uh, his podcast as well. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I, it is one of the most disconnected things I think in film history of how good the music is. Cause I will stand by the theory that if you get a good composer and good music, you can make a movie that would kind of suck, be actually pretty good. Um, I agree that reasons, music is very important. Yeah, the the Last Samurai with uh, with uh, Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks's <laughs> Last Samurai. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a good Tom Hanks impression, but I have a really funny picture of him in a samurai suit <laughs> jumping on a piano. You're welcome. Uh, that movie is good but not great until Hans Zimmer nails some of the moments in that movie. I don't remember the music particularly, but I, I, I do like a lot of Hans Zimmer's stuff. I listen to um, Gladiator all the time because I love, uh, and he did he did the music for that. Yeah, pretty good. Although it's funny because like I feel like um there's there's a lot of points when I listen to that that then remind me of later stuff that he did for Pirates of the Caribbean. Just like little <laughs> little bits here and there of his his music and I'm like if if he wasn't if it if he wasn't doing both of those soundtracks he'd probably get sued. Oh, probably. Yeah. I don't know. I think his real late like I think he got better as he got older. Like that Interstellar soundtrack is really good, although you have to listen to it on a good stereo because there's some stuff down there that's very low in the bass range. Oh yeah, and doesn't pick up even on my car stereo. Sometimes it just sounds like there's nothing playing. Yeah, I like listening to. There are there are a couple songs on the Man of Steel soundtrack that are like really heavy with drums that I love listening to in my car. <laughs> Scare people. No, I, I mean, it's just like, I, I mean, steel that calling that, it. Mm. Well, I, I like, I like percussion heavy stuff like Tycho drums. Like the, the, the kind of drumming that he's doing is not Tycho, but so, like that, so it's, it's sort of that same Galactica sort of thing. Soundtrack. Like if there is, hmm? yeah, I said, so yeah, you love the right, entire yeah. Battlestar Galactica soundtrack. Yeah, except I think those actually were Tycho drums. They are Tycho drums. Similar. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you but, like... but I mean, I mean, like, I think he's just using like regular, um, like symphony or um, drums. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't really know that much about drums, but I do like I do like really percussion heavy 
stuff and uh some of that music for the for the mana steel if if i don't even remember if there was um other accompanying music with it like if there was an orchestra playing behind them and it's just uh way in the background or not but like there's it's there's a lot of really cool drum stuff in that in that soundtrack you see how much trouble you're in kent oh yeah (laughs) but you guys enjoying yourselves that's that's good i'm just saying we're gonna have to do this about star wars music no it's good well, I'm glad that you agree that Phantom Menace is, is a great soundtrack, even if, because, uh, you know, there's a do... lot of negativity about that movie, but I feel like that soundtrack is is probably John, and, and this is saying a lot, because John Williams has had a very storied, legendary career. I think that that's probably his peak. The Phantom Menace? Yeah. Hmm. Just because of that what he was be. able to do, and, and it... It's not even like I feel like if you listen to that soundtrack by itself, like if you don't know anything else about any of the other stuff in Star Wars and you listen to that soundtrack, you'd probably think it was pretty good. But like with the knowledge of the three movies that came before it and the two movies coming after it, and when you can listen to all six of them and be like, he gets from, he's able to tie Return of the Jedi to Phantom Menace. I mean, to Revenge of the Sith, and here's like he starts he starts musical stories, like you were saying with the clones, uh, at the battle droids and the clones and the and the stormtroopers, um, their music. Like he starts stuff in Phantom Menace that then the like he starts stories in the Phantom Menace that then go through the next three movies, and I, I just think it's brilliant. For me. The Imperial March sometimes doesn't even start the way that it starts in in like episode four. In my head, I can do a through line of that first beat of when the droids activate in the Gungan battle. You can you can in your head hear all the way through that through line of how that music works. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. He's just brilliant. I mean, I can't, it's not like, it's not like that hasn't been said forever, but I mean, like, yeah, I just, I think that that's, he did such a good job with that soundtrack. Maybe it just stands out because that movie's not great. Eh, it's got its moments. (laughs) It does. All right. 